adventure climbing on the mountainside welcome everyone to the road to SummerSlam 1992 in the legacy series in this episode we will be going international for some of our matches we will be doing coliseum home video we'll have a variety of announcers on the call and this is one of the best i think overlaps of what used to be the golden era and what will become the new generation in my personal opinion you will see some evidence of why Shawn michaels was so good so early we will see the debut of the bad guy, Razor Ramon. We will see Bret Hart, Randy Savage, Ric Flair, the ultimate warrior, and so many more. Ladies and gentlemen, I am the mystic, and I am joined by my friend and co-host, by God, my learned colleague, Mr. Miz Fan, The Brain. Greetings, Miz Fan fans. We are on the road to SummerSlam 1992. Appropriately, we are on the road to the UK, so we will have to be traveling through Europe at times. Uh, we will be seeing a lot of great stuff today, a heavy emphasis on both the old and the new. Randy Savage, Ric Flair, lots of them, but also Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels, everybody in between. Going to be a very interesting, very exciting episode. We're going real deep for some of these matches. Some really cool stuff that even I have not seen before. Some of it will be. So uh, it's going to be very, very fun today. I can't wait to see what we unearth together. One thing I'm looking forward to is seeing what some of your favorite matches are uh, mm. from this collection because I can see it going a lot of different ways. You know, we got not only these kind of big time matches, we got we're gonna see Randy Savage and Shawn Michaels, but like just in the greatest, I think just just a mix up of what we've been talking about in this era, we're gonna see Randy Savage team with Bret Hart to take on Ric Flair and Shawn Michaels. We're gonna see Shawn Michaels in one on one action. We're gonna see Bret Hart in one on one action and a lot of other things. So I'm just very curious um, as to where you'll fall with those matches and also what you will think of the fact that Razor Ramon formerly the diamond stud in the WCW has joined us in the world wrestling federation. Oh yeah. I mean, there's going to be a lot to talk about. We've got uh, what seven or eight matches, I think on the set. And I think, man, you could easily pick four or five of them. Any of them could possibly be your favorite, depending on uh, your taste, depending you know, on who you like the best, depending on just how it strikes you. So that is all going to be great stuff. And then, yeah, man, we got Razor Ramon here. I'm I'm very excited about that. I'm a huge fan of uh, the guy, especially in this run. So, man, we're going to have a lot to say about that as well. It's going to be a very exciting show. I'm curious also for you, which matches are going to strike you as the best? And uh, all of our listeners as well are going to have to share, because there, there's a real uh, kind of a rich diversity, I think, between a lot of the matches here. It would be good to hear from everyone. Of course, you talk to people on Twitter that I don't get to because I'm not there, but also just in the forums with um, our prof, with BK, with Benjamin Button, with others who, who sometimes come along. We got some similar opinions, but of course, different opinions. And this is an episode that may or may not, you know, split it wide open, you know, because as you said, if you're a Bret Hart guy, if you're a Shawn Michaels guy, if you're a Flair guy, if you're a Savage guy, you know, you, you may go different directions, but um, also I think what will be good about it is the why 
of the conversation. So why one match over another, especially when some of them include the same people? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, uh, I think there's a clear mix of kind of the top four guys here, and we've named them a few times. You named them just now. So it'll definitely be interesting to see. Um, interestingly, kind of the one name not on here, uh, Undertaker, who we know is going to be significant, but I think maybe it is a sign. I did look for some of his stuff, but I think he's off feuding with, like, Berserker something, kind of dropped out of the spotlight. I was just thinking... As important as Undertaker is going to be, I'm thinking of SummerSlam 92, which I have seen. Can't remember what Undertaker does there. I'm thinking I had the Survivor Series 92. Can't think of what he does there. Next thing I remember him doing is confronting uh, our friend Giant Gonzalez in the Royal Rumble. So, yeah, I don't know. Undertaker, so important, kind of in the early part of this year, kind of dropping off, unless I'm forgetting something very significant for the guy. I honestly think that's one of the great pieces of the Undertaker's legacy is that if you know him from the second half of his career or, the, or the, even the, like the third to fourth quarter of his career, you know one Undertaker. But <clears throat> this is an Undertaker early on that they would they would send him away or they would put him in really bad angles. Like he was not the top choice. He really endured mm. anything that you put him in to the point I think that they realized, hey. Like we can count on this guy for anything, but that that's part of his early legacy is that he was never, I don't think, the main feature. He like I think he requested uh Yokozuna early in Yoko's career because like he had wrestled Giant Gonzalez, which he hated. He had wrestled someone else I can't think of which he hated. Like he hated because they pretty much took every like big guy or monster or freak show and put on with the Undertaker. And he's like, you know, hey Vince, can I have this guy? And Vince you know, pretty much not now type thing. So uh, Undertaker is very aware of what he endured during this time. <laughs> and we will be aware as well. Um, yeah, I don't know. We're going to have to watch him and see if he's actually on these cards or uh, if he's left off for some reason, you know, because, yeah, he was definitely not always one of the protected guys. So I don't know. We'll just see what happens. Uh, I'll be interested to see what goes on with him. Have you seen the um, segment where Berserker tries to stab him with a sword? I believe I have. I have a memory of him stabbing it into the, the mat and Undertaker, like, sitting up right before he gets stabbed, something like that. Yeah, that's another one that when I was young, I don't think I even processed a lot of things I saw in WWF. I just kind of looked fuzzy-eyed at it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I know just what you mean. I know how that can happen, so yeah. Well, Undertaker didn't get stabbed, fortunately, so he will be around for future episodes. I haven't even looked up SummerSlam 92 cards. A lot of that's going to be a surprise for me. Yeah, no, I mean, it's coming right up. It's our next episode in two weeks. So, yeah, we're going to have to um, confront the good and the bad there. Uh, What do I remember? I remember Michaels and Martell, which I think is very fun. Um, Bretton, Bulldog, of course. Uh, Savage Warrior rematch, which is bleh. And besides that, yeah, I don't know. We're going to have to wait and see. I've seen it because I just I don't remember um, kind of a lot of it. So it'll be interesting to check it out. Yeah, this is we've talked about this a lot, folks. This is there's not a lot of clarity in this as far as it's not the golden era. It's not the new generation. It's this in-between thing. Sometimes it makes it better. And sometimes you kind of realize why it's just the, the in-between thing. <laughs> absolutely absolutely i think the final thing i will say just in the run-up to this episode is 
when you watch it back, it's not that shocking that we're moved. Like when I was a kid or when we talk about history, it's like, oh, my God, this is when they did that unbelievable transition from, you know, the, the older talent to the new talent. It's not as shocking when you kind of know a little bit and you watch what's going on. And this is why I'm so glad we're doing these um, in-between pay-per-view shows, uh, even with Saturday Night's main event basically being extinct. I think there's one more later this year, but basically it doesn't exist anymore. I hope we are able to do uh, more of these episodes because I think jumping from pay-per-view to pay-per-view, you do miss out on kind of things, and it can kind of feel like time just jumped and there was nothing in between. So looking at all this stuff, like, there's some rich stuff here, you know. I think, you know, this is probably a better card, if I do say so, than maybe we're going to see at SummerSlam, um, just in terms of, like, there's a lot of entertaining stuff on here and not much uh, junk, in my opinion. So we'll see how it all shakes out, but uh, I am glad we were able to take the time to do an episode like this. Uh, folks, Ms. Van has put together, um, I think, something that we, we will consider for a long time because of the great matches, but also, be, as we've already said, the, this this weird uh, moment in time where we're on the transitional line and folks from both sides are there. Uh, the first matchup is from April 14th, 1992 in Germany. Mm. And this is what we've been talking about, about what we did not get, what Randy Savage did not get to do. The kind of matches he wanted to have. We got Randy Savage defending the WWF title against Shawn Michaels. Mm. And I was interested. Savage and Shawn were run across each other a couple of times in this set to the point where, you know, it was very easy for me suddenly to imagine them running this match at SummerSlam 1992 and how kind of I really wish they had because, as I alluded to, I don't really care for this Warrior rematch. Some people like it. More power to you. But uh, to me, it is nothing on the first. And just another sign of why Ultimate Warrior um, was not needed uh, back in this run. I mean, I don't know if he was ever needed. But, um, yeah, Michaels and Savage. I mean, uh, hindsight being 2020, But that that's a very cool match just on paper. You see that? And I feel like that's some exciting stuff. Yeah. <clears throat> I will have a lot to say about the Ultimate Warrior when we get there, I feel like in part, it is anything that moved us or transitioned us or helped us get from the golden era to the new generation. It might have been just how bad the ultimate warrior is <laughs> being bad. And then also uh, once again, flaming out of the company yeah. spectacularly. Um, so, yes, I guess we can all be grateful that uh, this run won't last longer than it does. This is WWF World Tour European Rampage. It's Sean Mooney and Lord Alfred Hayes on the call. And before we're done, we're going to keep Lord Alfred Hayes and lose Sean Mooney. So I don't know if he's just not on some of this or if we're getting to the point that he's going to be gone, gone, because I'm not sure when that is. I'm not sure either. We might be getting around there, which is a real sad thing. Sean Mooney has been uh, great. And I will just say up front, all these Mooney, Alfred Hayes, commentary bits uh are delightful and um we'll also learn a thing or two in a recurring uh alfred hayes sensational sherry connection perhaps that we will uh, hear about more than once so we'll keep an eye on that as well yeah this, this is beautiful uh sean mooney lord alfred hayes on the call savage flair uh, savage sean excuse me sensational sherry at ringside and we know what that means sherry used to manage randy savage she has moved on twice since then, and now she's got an opportunity to once again manage 
the WWF champion if all goes well in this matchup. Indeed so. Some interesting connection there, which I think was played off uh, more than I expected, but also I think gave kind of like a rich basis if they did have a pay-per-view uh, feud, you know, even without Liz being there. Liz will not be seen on any of this. I don't know if we'll see Liz again, uh, to be honest, because they, they are, are splitting up in real life, and, um, you know, that just uh, won't work out for many reasons, which you may know if you know the history of that couple. Yeah, I don't think you need her for this. Um, Sean, I said this match starts careful and reckless at the same time. Randy Savage is playing this leg injury that he got from Ric Flair. So Sean is just holding on to the top rope, stalking, just trying to kick at the leg. Savage will eventually roll out early just to throw chairs in the ring. So we got a little bit of two different things going on here at the beginning. Absolutely so. And I, I really like this um, this thing of Flair or of Savage uh, coming in limping because he limps like right through his entrance. And uh, I think we know it's from Ric Flair. But I also think this match was probably released maybe after Ric Flair was not there anymore because they don't really talk about Ric Flair at all. Um, but they talk a lot about how, like, this tour has been difficult and his leg has been injured. And there's something um, about that framing that I do like. So I, I think it sets up the match well to be something different and uh, something kind of interesting in that respect. Yeah, so you got a strategy. Because some of these matches sometimes we know are not going to live up to what they could be if it was a feud and given time and months. And this could have been even better, but it's great on its own. It's really good, yeah. I mean, I would recommend it to anybody, even though, uh, as you say, I think it really could have been even more in the right kind of circumstance. Sherry seems to have no thought in attacking (laughs) Randy Savage's leg, so uh, whatever was there between them, they they have moved on to other things, and it is a business as usual. Yeah, I think she made that clear. Uh, she busts up that leg real good. Sherry, of course, never afraid to get in the mix here. Um, I love Alfred Hayes here because he's so goofy and charming. And um, he say, oh, how much he admires Sherry. Uh, and Sean Mooney is like, oh, well, have you have you talked to her about that? And Hayes says, oh, she won't speak to me, <laughs> <laughs> which is yeah. delightful. Oh, they are so charming together. Um he never has to put himself over. Like, Lord Alfred Hayes, he'll be whatever you need him to be. And mm. you don't get many people because he's got a lot of status. He's got a lot of, you know, he's got place in the WWF. But he never has to behave in a way that just makes someone else look small or has to put himself over. Yeah, never, ever have I seen that. Alfred Hayes um, just uh, always willing to kind of be the goof or the fool or to, uh, you know, just have fun out there. So I love Hayes. Um, he does a great job here. Uh, also doing a great job, honestly, Randy Savage, man, the selling he does in this match, um, was really incredible. And, uh, once again, I, uh, Alfred Hayes, another great moment. He at one point says like, I have no doubt we will see a new champion. And just looking at how busted up Savage's leg is, you're like, okay, yeah. All right. Hayes, like, I see what you're saying there. Yeah. This might be the best commentary in the whole show because there, there's yeah. two, different places that has that authenticity. The first one is a long conversation about injuries, you know, that Savage's leg could be worse than it even looks. It could be not as bad as he's pretending like it is. He could switch legs and it could be the other leg because sometimes wrestlers do that. They're just going into all these layers of history of what happens when someone has an injury. And then later, because it is injured, 
and Sean does take advantage of it. Lord Alfred Hayes starts the conversation that the referee might stop the match, and Sean Mooney's like, have you ever seen that? And he's like, one or two times, and then he lets him know. Like, sometimes there are wrestlers who will not quit, and the referee has to save them from themselves. And Sean Mooney says, you know, I just would not want to be Joey Morella when Savage, you know, <laughs> kind of comes back to himself on the other side if he calls this match and takes his title from him. <laughs> Great points all around. I love that. I also love Alfred Hayes. Like, I, what, whether he's actually seen these things or not, he conveys such an impression that he has. He'll do that later in our um, uh, de facto main event, and uh, that will be enjoyable. That's a bigger deal, because if he has seen them, it once again puts another Bret Hart uh, story uh, into question. <laughs> indeed, indeed it does. So, But then there was guns also. We'll get to that one. Yes. Um, so yeah, uh, Savage, um, his leg is really busted up here, uh, or so he portrays, but I, I really enjoy at the end. He never kind of shakes it off, but he is able to kind of put down Sean. He climbs the ropes on one leg. It seems like he almost can't get there, but he gets up, drops that elbow, does get the victory. And, uh, it's, it's a really good match. You know, it could have been better, uh, maybe in the main event of a pay-per-view with the time and the feud and everything, as the Mystics said. But uh, it's a very good match, and I would recommend it. Yes, I really enjoyed this. Um, I also noted, and I think this is just a fact at this point, Hulk Hogan refused to be the bridge between the Golden Age and the New Generation. Mm-hmm. The Ultimate Warrior wasn't qualified to be it, and <laughs> Savage wasn't permitted to be it. Yeah, they had to cross without a bridge, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and they made it across, more or less. You know, they'll they'll be worse for wear in the end. But, uh, yeah, I mean, let's be thankful for folks like Roddy Piper and Jake Roberts and other folks who really put these guys over. Um, even, you know, as we go down here, you know, Ric Flair will put certain people over, uh, very big from the next generation. Um, even guys lower on the card, you know, where we're about to see a Rick Martel match. Uh, that will uh, be very impressive. So, you know, there's a lot of people who did help them, but none of the biggest names that should have helped them get across really did here. Yeah, Flair was really the main event stand-in for them, but he was never a WWF guy, unfortunately, because towards the end we will really start to find out what Vince thinks of him, and it's very different than it was six months ago, which is a very Vince McMahon thing, I think, to do. Would have to agree with that. Um, <laughs> I really enjoyed after this match, and again, I couldn't help thinking like you could easily be setting up some kind of pay per view match right here. Um, of course, Coliseum videos don't really exist in canon, um, but uh, even so, after the match, you have Sherry. She will attack Randy Savage with a chair in that leg, and we will see Shawn Michaels doing his best, like late Scott Steiner, and like beating up referees and randos, and just uh, really being. Very unusual for Shawn Michaels. Um, once again, Alfred Hayes with a great moment who says, Jack Tunney, uh, you know, if they review these tapes, Shawn Michaels may be suspended for life for this behavior. And uh, obviously that didn't happen. But, man, you can understand if you watch this why he might think so. And obviously because Jack Tunney's not going to review these tapes. <laughs> you know, it's not because Shawn Michaels wasn't misbehaving. And that's a point that I want to come to. Leaving off the main event just we have Michaels versus Savage. We have Michaels in a great tag match, and we have Michaels in Texas Tornado. And it's a different Shawn Michaels in a way in all three of them, but not in a way like it's a different guy, but it's a different 
part of Michael's, different part of his arsenal, I think, in each one of those. So uh, that will be something that I will be keeping an eye on as we go. That is very interesting to talk about. I think Michael's probably changing quickly in this era as he kind of looks for his best way. Um, but yeah, I, I think you're right. He will bring something different to each match. Um, not in a drastic, like shocking way, but yeah, just, uh, something a little different. So we'll speak on that as we continue along here. Yeah. So right now we're going to world tour 1992, April 19th, uh, Sheffield, England, Bret Hart defends the IC title against the model Rick Martell. Yep. Same tour, no doubt. So picking off some great matches from this tour to be released. And I'll just say, I love all these Coliseum home video releases. I watched more than a few, uh, when I was kind of doing this, uh, Bobby Heenan project a couple years ago. And, um, there's some brilliant stuff on here. I would say, man, if I was a kid and I was picking these up at uh blockbuster or something, I'd probably be thrilled. Um, not to say there aren't some bad matches on here as well, but uh, you get to the good ones, and man, they are very good. I will say that a lot of them were not in Blockbuster, and if I remember right, they were around $40 a pop. So, Ooh, um, all right, I never mind. I, yeah. I never would have seen them then. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I never saw them either, and I always, but I knew they existed. And like you said, when you look at them, number one, they look great, and I wanted to watch them. But number two, like you said, they're not part of canon, but sometimes they're more interesting. So, mm. you know... When I was still taking it seriously, like, this is all real. It's like, well, how in the world do you even fit together what I'm seeing on TV and knowing that all this stuff is happening as well? And I was always trying to connect that puzzle and couldn't quite do it. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I I totally see what you mean. Um, But, yeah, here we have Rick Martel, Bret Hart, that Intercontinental Championship is up for grabs in Europe. Once again, it's going to be a lot more famously in about uh, four months. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you see it here. You see how over Bret Hart is in the U.K., and I think uh, it is considerable. You've got Heenan and Monsoon doing commentary, which is beautiful. You've got both guys wearing pink and looking great. Um, This match on paper, I think, is not jumping out as much as some of these others. But, man, I'll just say this match in execution uh, is probably one of the best ones we have on this set. This is another one that we're starting to see what Bret Hart's going to be. And I think a thing that I like so much about uh, what is happening right now, nobody knows, including Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, where their lives are going to go and what they're going to think of each other. And yet the thing about these two is they are almost the same person in that they are trying to create a movement where smaller guys can be the top stars. And so for a moment in time, they are together and you think of them together. But when you look at their work, they could not be more different. And that is what once they once smaller guys can be top stars, then all of a sudden they don't have to fight together anymore. And I think if you're a deep, deep fan of Shawn Michaels, then you're going to prefer his style to Brett. If you're a deep, deep fan of Bret Hart, you're going to prefer that style to Shawn Michaels. And so all of a sudden you're going to have a choice to make and they, they're, they're in reality much further away from each other than they're going to seem in the beginning. Yeah, absolutely. So, and I'll say this also, uh, we'll see Brett, I think uh, more than once on this pay-per-view or on this, uh, this episode. And while Sean will be kind of changing from match to match, to match, to match, Brett Hart, uh, he will be extremely consistent. I think where Sean is still kind of looking for who he is exactly in this role, Bret Hart, I think, knows exactly who he is and is just going to keep building on that. So I think it's a different 
um, creative process as well, because I think that will even remain true kind of as we go through their entire careers. Yeah, I think that is true of their entire careers as well. The only time Bret Hart changes is when the entire world literally just shifts around him so that he's standing in the same place but looks completely different. Ah, even then, he hardly changes. Yeah, yeah, it's everything around him, you know. And that's very Bret Hart, you know. Even if the whole world changes, I think he'll be about where he was before. Um, and you can respect that or you can be down on that. But, uh, damn, he's consistent at least. It is to the earth and the sky because I think Michaels is a- – is always expanding, but he's also kind of floaty and doesn't stay in one place. Mm-hmm. Bret Hart roots down and he builds up from that one foundation, and it's going to be almost the same thing all the time. But you know, it's in it's in the little things. Bret Hart makes you pay attention. He makes you watch closely, whereas Shawn Michaels is more of a showboat, and you can kind of sit back and watch what he does at times. Mm, absolutely. I mean, if you've ever seen. Um like a, a time-lapse picture of a landscape where uh, you can see maybe like many days pass in a, a few seconds, you will see the, the, the sky will be like whipping past, you know, it'll be flying past. You'll see changes, clouds, sun, stars, everything just kind of flying by. Uh, but if you watch the earth, um, you know, it'll move a little, but it, it's the earth, you know, it's very solid. It's right there. And that, that is Brett and Shawn Michaels, I think together. It is. And the other thing I'll say before we get into this match is his great legacy, Brett's, in a way, has to be this international appeal that he has because, oh, yeah. in parts, it's going to save WWF more than one time. Yeah. When they go away from Hogan, when they go away from all these guys, the one thing Brett can bring to the table, I think that nobody else can, is he can kind of like be a big star, even when WWF's not that big internationally. And then. When we go into the Attitude Era and we go into the Brett Austin stuff, nobody could have predicted. Like, Canada becomes a character in the feud. And so we're seeing the beginning of something that only Bret Hart, I think, could have delivered uh, for everybody going forward. I don't think anybody else could have consistently delivered. Yeah, I mean, for whatever reason, I don't think anyone else really has a claim to it. Uh, Bret Hart, certainly always popular in the United States, but in Canada, uh, his status is well known. All across Europe and other countries, he's always been one of their top, most popular guys, to the point where, yeah, international business will kind of keep the company alive, Mm -hmm. while uh, WCW is just pummeling them to death in the United States. So, so yeah, Bret Hart, um, you have to respect that part of his legacy, I think. Yeah. And I, he comes off as such a decent guy, but Bobby Heenan calls his character into question because he gives his sunglasses away. And Bobby Heenan says, did he give her the glasses because he liked her or he was trying to hide her face? <laughs> My goodness. That's that's wrong, I think. Oh, that's great. Well, you know, you know, he's just asking questions. You know, it's a yeah. question. So is he just covering up his ugliest fan? It's possible. He doesn't want to be distracted during the match, so it could be that. <laughs> We're going to give the benefit of the doubt to Bret Hart, but we're also we're going to pay attention. This guy might end up being bad before this is all said and done. <laughs> oh, my. It's wild to think this guy is going to be our world champion soon, though. Oh. You know, uh, I can't even. Um, that's going to be a very strange scenario. Uh, it'll be very different than what we've seen before. Yeah, and it may be because here's the here's the weird thing that we're going to see in this era. I think sometimes. Coliseum home video will really be the best thing we can watch because we got guys that maybe aren't even full-fledged superstars who might be world champion, but they're great wrestlers. So sometimes the feuds 
may or may not reach that level, but the matches will be on point. Mm, yeah, absolutely. So, and like I think I alluded to before, uh, this is probably one of my favorite matches on the set when it comes down to the actual action in the ring. Uh, even though on paper, it's maybe probably one of the more ordinary ones that you might see. But man, this is another chance again for Rick Martel, who is only kind of sort of like at his status that he used to be in the company. I mean, he'll have a nice angle at SummerSlam, but he, he doesn't have a whole lot more that he gets to do. And man, like many others, but especially so, he is still awesome, I think, when you really let him go in the ring there. He's awesome. I think without even trying, I think he could be like at 60% trying and still be one of the best people on the card. Yeah, he's that good. I absolutely agree with that. <laughs> like Brett sends him off the rope early and cartwheels out of it. And there, there are times I've seen heels do all the cartwheeling and push-ups where I'm like, please just stop and get on with the match. But he is so arrogant. and so like, He's a great wrestler, but he's also a great character. So you forget that, I think, that he really has both of them because how can you know it? Because... They didn't take full advantage, I think, of what he can do. Sure. It was easy to uh, kind of fear the appearance of the model back when he was uh, one of the hottest baby faces in the company. And I think that will always be his best role. But, yeah, I mean, you look at how much he puts into this model character. And, man, it's great because he's not just cartwheeling. But you got to look at his body language. you got to look at the look on his face. you got to look at the way it plays to the crowd. Like, it's just very above and beyond, I think, what a lot of heels could have possibly done with this role. Martel, always fired up. You know, if he's capable of giving 60%, you know, I'm sure he'd be good still, but I don't know if I've ever seen it, because, man, this guy really puts it out there, I think. Yeah, it's also smart psychologically, because mm. weirdly, somehow, contradictory but true, last week we talked about, two weeks ago we talked about Bret Hart's character is known for being cool. Right? He's just... Yeah, you know, he doesn't take it in uh, the way like a Roddy Piper does. But he also has a very, very short temper. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely so. Uh, and that really gets under his skin here. Yeah, he, he is here to wrestle. He is here to be the excellence of execution. And, you know, model is, model's not just going to – the worst thing you can do with Bret Hart, why anyone would simply – you could be the best wrestler in the world and I wouldn't simply wrestle him because as long as you're in line – with him executing the excellence of execution, then he is happy and he is on his game. So you got to do some of this, I think, when you wrestle Bret Hart. I think so, man. I just think this is a great match. It's really impressive on a on a set where we are going to see Savage one on one with Shawn Michaels, where we see Bret Hart one on one with Shawn Michaels, where you see Ric Flair in a singles match. All this stuff. Even so, when it comes down to the action, I think my favorite match is Rick Martel versus Bret Hart. And that's a testament to Bret Hart, but also it's really a testament to Rick Martel and just how damn good this guy is. I'm glad you went ahead and said that because I think I agree that this is some of the best technical wrestling. Uh, for me as a fan, this is not my favorite. Mm -hmm. And it's weird because, like, the anti-this match would be Sean and Texas Tornado, for example, because it is not about wrestling. Right. And yet, I will talk, I love that one. And I, my favorite is probably the tag match. We'll get to that eventually, but probably I think a lot of people. Too. Oh, go so ahead. I, I think we're online there, but yeah, I don't know. Um, sorry, I interrupted. Go ahead. No, I, I just think a lot of people will feel the same way that you're saying. So I wanted to sit back and let you say it because I like this match a lot, but it wouldn't be from my personal it wouldn't be the thing I brought out. So I'm glad 
that you're doing that because this match deserves to be considered as one of the best. And so we need to get that on the record. I think that's why this set is so great. You know, if I do say so myself, not to uh, to my own horn too hard, but um, I think in different ways, all of these matches or, or many of them at least can be considered the best on the set. Um, so yeah, this is one of my favorite just in terms of the work that they do, but other matches will surpass it maybe in terms of, yeah, like character work or uh, we have that dynamite tag match later on, which probably is my favorite as well. We have matches where managers get involved. We have matches that are kind of like dream matches that maybe you didn't even know existed. Like they're all exciting for different reasons, um, so I, I think that, uh, there's a lot of enjoyable stuff here and, uh, depending on how you look at it, you could like almost any of these matches the most. Yeah. And that's where the richness of conversation comes in. Mm. One thing I loved about this is Bret Hart will let the model just have his way with him for the longest time. Like Bret Hart is not, um, is not just using this man as a launching pad. Like model will have the advantage for a lot of this match. Yeah, this is very competitive, and I think this is a strength of Brett's compared to um, maybe a lot of the guys who came before him, is that he will find ways to have these competitive, engaging matches with just about anyone. You know, he's going to do a miracle with Kevin Nash in a few years and have, like, far and away his greatest match ever, I think, at Survivor Series 95. So um if he could do that with nash like of course he's gonna do something great with martel here you know he's gonna be giving uh i don't know if i can think of a time where bret hart just came in and kind of like squashed the guy for no reason like this was his uh like fighting champion era he would fight guys just randomly all the time i remember he had a very competitive like not that long but competitive short match with virgil i think on superstars or something so he can do this and still, like, there's no doubt in your mind that this guy, like, deserves to be champion, and yet he can be competitive, he can create doubt, he can create interest in a very different way than certainly a guy like Hogan ever could. So that, that that's a unique appeal to Bret Hart, I think. It's almost the opposite of Hogan, and, mm. you know, in one way I give Bret credit, in another way, that is almost, like, Bret Hart being dominated is almost Hulk Hogan dominating as far as what it does for the, the person or the character he's putting forth. <laughs> Expand on that a little. That's interesting. Because I think his whole career is as a combination of being the underdog, being the guy who fights back up and then being the guy who finds a way out of not winning the match. So like if he did not allow those things to happen, a lot of what we credit Bret Hart's legacy will be all these interesting finishes, you know, all the times you think he's going to lose, but he doesn't. So if he wasn't wrestling those style matches, you have to wipe all of that off the board. And I don't say that to take anything away from him. I say that actually to credit him, to know yourself, because the hardest thing that you can ever do in anything in life is create something that did not come before. Because it's almost like even if Bret Hart's six foot and hugging six, eight, well, if he's the next world champion, he needs to hulk up. Like when Bret Hart, when we get Bret Hart out of the way and Diesel's in, Diesel is going to um, rev his engines, which is hulking up. You know, so to be able to understand yourself and a changing business and what you bring to the table, that is the excellence of execution, which has nothing to do with a single move. It has to do with this man. This man can sit back. What Randy Savage does on paper with his 72 or 76, whatever steps with Ricky Steamboat, <laughs> Bret Hart does in his head, and he understands exactly who he needs to be and how these things need to go. 
Yeah, he's really already developed a great signature style, and I know just what you mean by that. Um, so, yeah, no, it, it'll be great stuff. Uh, I will also say I did not know Revig his engine was going to be part of the um, terminology. <sighs> uh, so, clearly, I don't know the depths of diesel that we're going to sink to here. So, that's exciting. <laughs> be let, me, let me do a ranking for you, okay? <laughs> okay. So, for me... Probably in history, you would go Hogan in the 80s, number one. If it was my per- and then maybe Hollywood Hogan, number two. I might would go the other way personally. Then you would go like becoming stale Hulk Hogan. I might have him at number three. Bag of Bones Hulk Hogan, which we haven't seen, <laughs> would, would either be three or four. And then to me, D- Diesel is like whatever is skinnier and less than Bag of Bones Hulk Hogan. Oh, wow. <laughs> Uh, all right, yay! It's gonna be our champion for a year. Exciting! Oh god, he's like a combination of Hogan and Brett because he revs up like uh, Hulk Hogan, but he's supposed to be super cool and laid back like Bret Hart. So mm-hmm. he's got everything. Yeah, that'll be interesting and perhaps painful as we go through that whole era. Okay, so here's something I don't know because rarely have I seen this. I saw it in Bret Hart and Perfect, but when Bret Hart with a uh, hip toss, Mister Perfect. Mm. It would become a like he was slinging and perfect would go in circles before he fell down and the model did that here so like that's a that's an interesting thing because I don't know if that's a Brett move or if that was a perfect move but it has extended to Brett and the model. Yeah, I don't know. You'd think that'd be a perfect thing because he found ways to like spin and twist and yeah. bump that could not be done by other humans. But here Martel as well. So yeah, I don't know, but I'm glad you called that out because it's a nice bit. Yeah, so I'm liking this match even more as we talk about it. There's just so much to like here, especially for kind of, as you said, fans of uh, uh, maybe you'd call it technical wrestling or just like there's something very pure about the work here. Mm. And that's not to say that they don't include like some really good character stuff, but just like, I don't know, this match you could easily transplant, I think, to uh, an earlier era and it would get over just the same, if not more. You know, uh, it could almost be like an NWA type match. You could see this on a Clash of Champions or something uh, in their best days. So, I don't know, just a lot of really great stuff here. I appreciated this match a lot. Yeah. This is how great Brett is in this regard. Um, when he does a, a very standard suplex, he jumps like, and throws himself into the air with the mm-hmm. suplex. And, like, I never think about suplexes. They're about as basic as you get unless you put some kind of spin on it. And, like... I just watched him do a regular suplex, and, I, and it made me question, like, how does everybody else do their suplexes? So I don't feel like they throw themselves in the air like that, but I've also never paid attention enough to know. And that's the kind of that's kind of world that Bret Hart at his best opens up when you watch attentively. Yeah. Yeah, he rewards uh, close attention, for sure. And uh, and I know just what you mean. I mean, most suplexes are uh, just kind of lift him up and fall backwards. And, yeah, like you, a vertical suplex is not going to – probably thrill me but yeah with brett he's almost like jumping a little somehow or Mm -hmm. something there's like something extra to it that you you have to appreciate i think yeah whether he's just falling back he goes into the air with the guy in his release and something i've never paid attention to um this is also a classic brett finish where you know he does that he does not have to do the big boot and the leg drop every time he finishes a match sure yeah i mean uh, it's probably too late to start tracking it, but I'm starting to wonder, is he win more matches with, like, small packages and roll-ups than he does with, uh, you know, the sharpshooter or what have you? So he will get that small package on, and he will get that victory. And, uh, yeah, this is just a, a great match, really. I, I hope everyone checks this one out as well. 
on pay-per-view, he beat Perfect with the sharpshooter. Uh, he did not use the sharpshooter on Piper. He's not going to use it on Davey. So that right there is partly uh, is it a heel face thing or how many times does Brett do it? But you know, at least in those three, uh, sharpshooter is is in the running, but it's not on top. Mm, that's interesting too. I, I, Bret Hart maybe seems to fight more baby faces than others, uh, at least um, in those uh, big matches that you mentioned. And yeah, you cannot cannot make a baby face tap out in this yeah. era. It would be like a cardinal sin. So that could be it as well. I think. Um, when he fights Diesel, he'll be a baby face too. So man, yeah, I don't know. Maybe Brett just fought a lot more baby faces than uh, than some other guys. I can't remember if he fought Undertaker baby face or Brett might have been healed by the time they wrestled, but definitely fought Diesel baby face. That's the bad thing is Diesel to me was one of the worst experiences of my life, and we're still gonna have to have a conversation about how poorly he was booked. So, <laughs> I mean, we'll we'll see how the conversation plays out, but I, I feel like we'll be able to agree. If they had booked him better, it would have been better, but not better enough to justify um, this stupidly long reign that we're going to get. Yeah, it makes no sense. It's strange to me. I was thinking about Razor Ramon somehow is going to go from Diamond Stud, like a almost jobber in WCW, to straight to the main event scene on pay-per-view in WWE. The war and Razor, who's not going, you know, who maybe gets a couple of battles. But if you watch just the beginning of their careers in WWF, you would think Razor was going to be Diesel and Diesel was going to be Razor. <laughs> I always have thought that uh, I would have much rather seen Razor Ramon pick up that long title reign. And uh, I think it's been said that Scott Hall uh, did not want the title. He didn't want that pressure. He, he just kind of yeah. wanted to uh, indulge himself which, of course, uh, would end up being very bad for him. But, man, yeah, I mean, certainly it's something that I would have preferred to see. It's, I think that's, of everybody in the clique, the one I'm most interested in following because I know the least about it is Razor because I love Shawn Michaels, so I watched him closely. I hated Diesel, so I had that opinion of him. You know, Razor is in between them, and, like, I, it's not as much a mystery. These are things I learned about Luger, about others, is that a lot of what happens, what what does and doesn't happen, has to do with who you are behind the scenes. And you don't know that when you're younger. And I think Razor definitely is a guy who did not want the pressure. And he liked putting other people over. Like he he wanted his money, but like he didn't. He want. I think he wanted to be exactly where he was as far as booking, which is somewhere in the middle. Yeah, that plus to be young enough forever to kind of indulge himself and not have consequences. Yeah. So we'll talk <laughs> about that, too. Uh, I'm really looking forward to all the Razor stuff. I know some of it. I don't know others, kind of the later stuff. So that'll be very interesting. Um, as far as the click goes, uh, one, two, three, kid. I'm looking forward to that also. That should be yeah. some very interesting stuff. <laughs> now, that's interesting, too, is the fact that the click will have such a feud with Bret Hart. And yet one, two, three, kid. And Diesel probably get their best matches in WWF off of Bret Hart. Oh, God, maybe their best matches of all time, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, not not for nothing. This is going to be some very great stuff. And, hey, you know, um, Michaels and Bret will fight a few times. They'll fight on this set. And, man, they'll have some really good matches as well. So, you know, not for nothing. Uh, Bret, even Bret and Razor Ramon, I think, they're going to fight at the Rumble. And uh, yep. they're going to have a really good match. So, yeah, I mean, uh Problems will arise, but Brett will work really well with these guys when the circumstances are right. 
And that is the interesting thing, too, is that when you put away all the nonsense, you got a bunch of people who eat. I think the, the thing WWF had going for it was, was that these guys, whether it's Brett, whether it's like these other guys, they would travel and talk about matches and gimmicks and characters and changing like they were on the come up mm. when they were main event stars. <laughs> and you don't see that a lot in wrestling. Yeah. Okay, so we're this is gonna show you how weird I think this whole error we are as we go from Sean and Brett and all this to Ric Flair going one on one with Sergeant Slaughter. <laughs> uh, I put this on the set for two reasons. I knew this probably wouldn't be a world beater. There's, there's some fun stuff here. We'll see what we think. But uh, I did this one um, so we can continue to get a little bit of Ric Flair in here, which I think he deserves. But especially I did this so we could get a Sergeant Slaughter babyface singles match that has nothing to do with Jim Duggan. And uh, I'm pleased at least that we were able to do that because I think finally, maybe, we'll be able to say uh, some nice things about Slaughter that aren't couched in like, wailing and anguish yeah it's very different from the matches but it's also like you said different from the slaughter we've seen and i agree a thousand percent because when it's rick flair has one of the strangest runs that he had more success faster than i think anybody coming from wcw would think would have Mm. and then all of a sudden when it's over it is over (laughs) yeah i mean I don't know if you would say it's over yet or not, but yes, certainly uh, he will not be on the same footing that he was before WrestleMania as he will be after. Yeah, when he wins the belt back, he'll hold it a very brief time. They'll take the belt off of him. Even when he wins it back, This is that's the match where Vince McMahon sends Bobby Heenan out to get them in the middle of the match and bring them back, and he just like yells at them, tells them they haven't done anything right, and just makes them go out and do the match again. God, I didn't know that. That's um, yeah. That's some steroids trial stress coming out, I think, because uh, it's hard for me to believe that that's that he was right about that. It's an amazing thing. So I've heard it from other people, but I heard it yesterday. I was watching some Razor Ramon stuff for his vignette, and Razor's supposed to come out and kick Randy Savage and throw him in the ring. So Razor's yeah. brand new, and he said oh, it's about like watching Vince McMahon. If Vince McMahon will talk to Rick Blair and Randy Savage like that. What's going to happen if I go out there and mess up my spot? <laughs> yeah, my God, how intimidating. Um, how, <laughs> you know, a lot was said about, uh, oh, Sid, uh, he had to run away from the WWF because Hulk Hogan was unprofessional. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe it wasn't just Hulk Hogan. Maybe there's another narrative here that uh, is not spoken of so much because Vince McMahon is not always the most professional man himself. So let's uh, let's think about that for a moment because that's some shocking behavior, I think. If you just like scream at your employees while they're trying to do their job and they're probably like, look who it is. They're probably doing a good job and you're just going to scream at them like in the middle of it. Like that wouldn't fly in any job I've ever had. So that's, uh, that's some interesting behavior. Yeah, you're shaming them, and then you got to send them back out to a crowd that knows they've already watched a half match or something, you know, to do the match you're going to put on on TV or on video. And so, and the weird thing about Vince McMahon is, like, I take your point. You made a great point about Sid, but Vince McMahon is a guy who might would talk to Randy Savage and Ric Flair about their matches and be disgusted with it, but might not ever have that problem with Sid. <laughs> 
yeah, like, it's incredible. Like, what goes on in this guy's mind, you know? It's, it's <laughs> wild. I can't even... Because you're right, I've never heard, like, he'll keep employing Ultimate Warrior and Sid and all this stuff, and where was Vince McMahon to yell at Warrior when he, when he injured <clears throat> the hell out of Bobby Heenan on what is supposed to be one of his, like, signature spots? So, I don't know. This is why I'm saying, like, I was half kidding, but not really. Like, this is the stress, I think, of this steroid trial. Vince McMahon on any given day is thinking like, I don't know, will I go to jail? So I don't know. Maybe that makes you yell at people like Randy Savage and Ric Flair. Yeah, this is straight conspiracy theory at this at this point. But I had a thought yesterday that maybe the reason the world title changes hands so many times off TV is that he's so disgusted with this era that he wants to almost pretend like it never existed. <laughs> <laughs> it's not the worst theory I've heard. So we'll think about that. Yeah, the one thing I know about Vince McMahon is it feels like the times that he hated, like what he was putting forth the most, is the times that I loved his company the most. <laughs> I was not surprising. Oh my gosh! All right. <laughs> okay, so Slaughter the Babyface versus Ric Flair, the heel. Vince McMahon is alone on commentary for this matchup. Mr. Perfect in that classic lettering black jacket is at ringside. Flair is in red trunks and the Mountie. We'll be at ringside. Indeed. Yeah, Vince alone. I think uh, he was doing Superstars with Mr. Perfect at this time, I want to say. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So that would be the reason. Man, they really, they were really hurting kind of forever to replace Jesse Ventura. They might still be hurting today, actually, now that I mm. think of it. Because they'll try Piper, Savage, Perfect, all these guys in there. Eventually, of course, they'll center on Jerry Lawler, and he'll kind of never leave. And that... I mean, um, I'm I'm not thrilled with that as a replacement. So, uh, yeah, hurting for Jesse Ventura here. I'll just say that. It's one of those things that you could even they don't. I don't think they find anyone better than Jesse. Nah. But you could find someone better than Jesse and still be hurting for Jesse because only Jesse is going to fill the Jesse Ventura role. Yeah, yeah. Big shout out to him. We miss him on commentary. Yeah. He's over uh, molesting uh, Tony Schiavone right now. So. Yeah. And then you got the fact that Vince McMahon needed Jesse Ventura because he's he's the owner of the company, and we just talked about his behavior with Savage and Flair. Like you need a Jesse Ventura in the booth with uh, Vince McMahon, otherwise you just get the equivalent of Hulk Hogan in his worst times, mm. what he did to his opponents. You get Vince McMahon doing that to his uh, broadcast partners. Yeah, sure. I mean, that's why you need people like Monsoon, Hayes, Patterson, these people who pre-existed uh, Vince Jr. and who aren't really afraid of him, you know, and uh, people who come in later, I think even um, of like Randy Savage's generation, like kind of uh, were under the spell a bit of Vince McMahon uh, at times and certainly will only get more so as you go along. Yeah, and so Vince... Vince really needs the right people around him, and this is why every single thing I thought in the 90s, like, oh, I hate Jimmy Hart, and then I thought, oh, I kind of like him in the 80s, maybe I misjudged him, or like, <laughs> man, I remember sometimes listening to Vince and thinking he wasn't that good, and like, oh, man, he's really, really good, you know, they just had everything, everything was just right in the 80s, that's why it's that golden era, because they had all the right dance partners, everything was fresh, they were still trying, like, there's so many of these guys. Some will just be great forever, like Bobby Heenan, but a lot of them, you'll get to see them when everything around them is right, and you get to see them when nothing around them is right later on. 
sure. I mean, even with Heenan, we watched him into, uh, what, 2000 WCW, and uh, that ain't the same Heenan, you know, yeah. of 1992. So uh, I think it'll happen to almost anybody in time. Uh, we're definitely watching a company in decline here. I mean, as much as good stuff that we will talk about, we will get, like, the segment after this, some of the other stuff. Like, we will see the big cracks in the hull that will almost sink this ship. So so let's not make a mistake. We're kind of looking at some of the best stuff, but this is a company in decline right here. I wanted to take a shot at Vince McMahon, but this is actually going to lead to praising him. Because <laughs> one thing, because Hogan was up front, like he's got on screen, he gets so much grief for the fall of the WWF, and that's fair. But I think Vince McMahon deserves equal stake in that, but because he's behind the scenes or in the booth, you don't see it as much. But there's almost parallel lines between when they were just like together at the top and when they start falling off. But then the thought that I had after that is, you know, the two things that will change wrestling and take us back to 80s level goodness will be Hogan becoming Hollywood Hogan and Vince McMahon becoming Mr. McMahon. Well, Mr. McMahon becoming Mr. McMahon, I think, is nothing without Steve Austin, so let's temper yeah. that for a moment. Um, imagine if he'd come out with that against a different dance partner. Like, I just don't think it could have worked the same. Um, but, yeah, no, McMahon, his greatest ability, I think, has always been as an on-screen character because uh, he will really give it his all and he will really do some uh, incredibly entertaining stuff as we get into that era. So I'll, I'll certainly give credit as far as that goes. Absolutely. In the time that we were talking about all of this, Flair and Sergeant Slaughter were trying to get a straight military press off. So we just wanted to give them a little privacy in their first few tries on that. <laughs> and, you know, like, not for nothing, like, they, a lot of people will see a match and they will see something that, like, if it looks like a botch or it didn't come off, like, totally crisp, they'll be like, oh, well, you know, a black mark against this match. But honestly, like, I don't know. You watch any kind of sport and not everything looks crisp. Like, it's not like that. So I, something like that doesn't necessarily bother me. You know, this is definitely not the greatest match that we will see. But uh, this, this is a pretty solid match. Like, I enjoyed some of the stuff going on here. Yeah, I agree. Also, I think if we credited big men sometimes for being big men, like the fact that Luger can so easily military press him, if we, if we like, oh, my God, that's kind of cool that there's a guy that can do that, then it would make sense that a Sergeant Slaughter might half military press somebody. Right, but, right. You know, when we give them no credit, then it's like everybody should just be able to do that. <laughs> Absolutely, for sure. Um this, this, for me, is what I hoped it would be insofar as it is uh, Slaughter's like, to me, this is what Sergeant Slaughter should have been doing all along. Like, put him by himself without these stupid people around him. Let him be just kind of like a mid-card babyface. He's a good wrestler. Like, he does good stuff here. He does that big bump over the corner to the floor that just looks insane. Uh, he works well with flair. Like, this is just a very solid performance. Just far away from all the stupid stuff he did with with Duggan or with, with Sheik or all this stupid stuff that we've had to sit through. Yeah, and the fans are really hyped for Sergeant Slaughter. Yeah. Like when he's on when he's on his comebacks too. Absolutely. Like this is a guy who has natural popularity, I think, you know. Not his eighty four popularity, which was so big that he had to like bust up lest he uh overshadow Hogan. 
but still, like, I think fans want to like this guy, and I think they always did, which is another reason the stupid Iraq angle never worked out. Yeah, you got to pay attention to those things. The fans want to like who they want to like, and Vince is never... I don't think Vince is a believer of that idea. <laughs> Certainly not at some times in uh, the company history, so here we are. One thing I've noticed about Flair is he never really gets a lot of heel heat. It's always like... That's when we want Flair chance, and in the tag match, it seems like it's like one fourth of the fans cheer Ric Flair, and then three fourths cheer the other person. But there's not a lot of booze and hatred in a lot, in a lot of his stuff. I feel like Flair is good at putting the shine on the other person, um, and yeah, inevitably he will get some cheers by this time. But yeah, uh, I think that's probably true historically. I've not thought about it, but yeah, I mean, I think he's just very good at putting, like, the positives on the other guy instead of putting, like, heat onto mm. himself. And that has to come from years, if not decades, of working, like, all the schmoes in every town and territory and needing to make them look good. And that has always been one of Flair's biggest things. So that that is a very interesting point, and uh, I, I like to think about that. <laughs> yeah. We get classic 90s Vince say, oh, what a maneuver, followed by, yes, he gets him at three, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, these Vinceisms. I don't mind him so much, but yeah, I think uh, 80s Vince commentary has to be viewed superior than 90s Vince commentary, so I think you mentioned that, and I would have to agree. It's got to be hard working for him. Like, knowing that what he does to Flair and Savage, like you said, the botches. Unless sometimes the botch will bother me, and sometimes if they just keep moving it, like you said, it's very it's very sportsman, it's very authentic. Mm-hmm. But like when Flair tries to catapult slaughter and it just doesn't work, slaughter just sits on him, yeah. and Vince is the only one commentating. Like I felt like straight shame because I was afraid of what Vince was thinking at that moment. <laughs> that did not look so good. Yeah, we yes. we have to acknowledge that. So, and yeah, that's tough if you're like the boss and like you're responsible for everything everybody sees, and you see that you got to keep doing your other job, like. That's a lot, you know, there's a lot going on there. Yeah, so I agree with you, though. This is a pretty good thing. It's definitely different to watch. Um, a lot of Jimmy Hart Mountie mischief, so I think they're going to end up, I think it's like a gigantic shock stick or something <laughs> uh, that's going to cost Sergeant Slaughter the matchup. Yes, yeah, some kind of fancy new uh, big shock stick will get the better of Slaughter and... Um, and Flair will pick up that win. So it's solid for what it is. You know, it's not without its flaws, but uh, I'm glad that we could include it here, both for Flair and for Slaughter. Absolutely. Um, we move to May 16th, 1992. Uh, Shango curses the warrior. Oh, my. Very infamous angle. So uh, we've mentioned this before, I think. And when you watch it, I feel like it's even dumber than it sounds. Um the warrior will be like celebrating. I, I think he just beat a jobber or who knows what. When uh, Papa Shango will come and he will put a curse on the warrior with his African voodoo, whatever, you know, low key racist, whatever you want to think that he's doing over there. So, warrior will be cursed. He'll grab his stomach, he'll writhe around, and then we will see footage backstage <laughs> of him just like barfing like the exorcist on doctors and just like ludicrous. Like if you like Leslie Nielsen or somebody should have been here. Like this is a comedy moment to me. Just so over the top, so ridiculous. 
um, just the vomit is like spraying out of the Ultimate Warrior. So, um, yeah, we cherry picked some good stuff, but I thought it was important to kind of look at the infamously bad angles of this time as well. And man, this is about one of the worst that I think you could come up with here. Okay, lots of thoughts. Number one, do you know that Leslie Nelson will be with us in the Legacy series? I did, yes. I thought of that okay. as I said it. Um, so that that that's a bit of foreshadowing for you. Okay, so I might would make a case that this is the uh, it's gonna be hard to say the word best, <laughs> but the most fitting thing that Warrior does in this run. There you go. Because if there's anybody that is doing any kind of voodoo or any kind of curses or whatever else. The one person that is going to succumb to it would be the stupid Ultimate Warrior. <laughs> like he has no mental defenses against it in this world. And you add to that what you know of who he really was and how he really was and all the things, conspiracy theories and everything else he believed in. Like he would, there's no way he doesn't end up writhing around on the floor. So of all the garbage that he does in this garbage run, I think this is the peak ultimate warrior of this era and i have some ultimate warrior questions later on in the in the show uh that we can get to but um also the most fitting thing is that in the back before he vomits the like most just the fakest looking vomit i've ever seen mm-hmm. um he's back there and they say the ultimate warrior is surrounded by some of his friends and there's nothing but referees and doctors and suits and ties back there there's not one person that could be his friend and that says a lot that says plenty right there. God, I can't imagine interacting with this guy, even if he wasn't uh, shooting up, like, thick corn chunks of yeah. whatever fake. Yeah, no, <laughs> the vomit looks terrible. Um, yeah, no, that's a great point. I didn't even pick up on that, but that that's that's perfect. It's also great, though, that in the transition that wasn't a transition, like, Papa Shango will try this stuff on Bret Hart, and it will not work because Bret Hart doesn't believe in it. And to me, if you're putting over something that has to replace the uh, golden era, having someone who doesn't fall prey to this simply because they don't believe in it is one of the best ways you can go. <laughs> in fiction, I'm always uh, fond of belief-based um, magic and gods and such. I don't know if that fits into wrestling very well, but certainly I almost want to give credit, although it almost seems accidental also, that uh, they kind of turn this around and then Bret Hart is immune to this. But uh, yeah. I'm not going to give too much credit, but I'll, I'll give a smidgen of credit there. Yeah, we'll get back to Warrior because I have a lot to say about him later. But <laughs> that segment is what it is. You, the folks that have listened to us have probably seen it before. Um, if you haven't, uh, I can't suggest it, it necessarily. It's very short. Do it. Just appreciate how stupid it is and yeah. uh, bask in the um, stupidity of the Ultimate Warrior. Because you can't believe like that he couldn't have shot this down. You know, this is a guy clearly who had no problem kind of like just saying when doing whatever he wanted. Um, But, yeah, he goes along with it. You know, I don't think Hogan at his worst would have gone along with this. And that goes along with what you've said is that the worst Hogan is still better than the Ultimate Warrior. And I think you're absolutely right about that. I believe that more than I've ever believed it. Um, There's a part of me that believes you can't even transition to another generation without the Ultimate Warrior being present. (laughs) <laughs> Just isn't that funny that they put ultimate warrior over hulk hogan at wrestlemania 6 because they wanted the warrior to be the next thing and he sucked at the idea but he really was the guy that came after hogan and that hogan would need to go away 
so Warrior could be present to transition us because with Sav- there's too much fight and there's too much wrestling knowledge. You can even say selfishness or self-preservation, but Savage and Hogan have too much of something to go down very easily. The Warrior, he wouldn't know what to veto. If you gave him veto power, he <laughs> might would uh, do this angle and veto WrestleMania six. You know, not out of selfishness or selflessness, but just he doesn't know. He wouldn't know what to veto and what not to veto. Mm, absolutely. Just, yeah. I reminded again. I wish I could remember who said it. I read it recently. Somebody talking about like trying to explain storylines to Warrior, and I've said this before, but they said you could never tell if he understood what you were saying. Like you would look in his eyes, and you would have no idea if this was clicking or not. So that's just Ultimate Warrior, perfectly right there. That is something for a former world champion, you know. And how many times I wonder did they tell him? what was going on and not know if he understood. And then, oh, let's wait and go listen to his promo and then see if he got it. And then when he's done with his promo, still don't know if he understood it or not. Yeah, if you were thinking that, I mean, God, good luck to you. <laughs> you won't learn a thing. So, yeah. uh, sacrifice So how do you pilots. ever know if he got it or not? Like, I guess it's just forever subjective. It's anybody's guess. Uh, something, something will end up on screen. And so after the fact, you have to look at it and try to figure out if you got it or not. So even then you might not know. Oh man. All right. So warrior, uh, suffering from Papa Shango. And now we're going to go to a mixed tag match, a six man tag match, a manager based. We got LOD teaming up with Paul Ellering to take on the Beverly brothers and the genius. <laughs> and this is special because uh, apparently Sean Mooney did not know uh, what this match was going to be because he was very incredulous early on that uh, the genius could be in a wrestling match. So we have Sean Mooney being like clueless about these managers and Alfred Hayes will like school him on how Paul Ellering was a wrestler and he used to watch him and all these things. And he will point out what Mooney should know that genius is also a wrestler and I don't even know if he was supposed to say that because I feel like the genius is supposed to be a different man than Lanny mm-hmm. Papo. But uh, he says it anyway because he's Alfred Hayes and uh, he's got that straight shooting personality where he will not remember what he's supposed to say and he will simply speak the truth. Yeah. Amen to all of that. Sean <laughs> Mooney is very disgusted with the concept of this match, which, you know, tickles me a little bit. So, you know. I put this on for... For a few reasons. One, honestly, just curiosity. And two, I like uh, Legion of Doom. I like the Beverly Brothers. I figured how bad could it be. But honestly, this was better than I expected. I actually quite enjoyed this match. So I don't know about you, but I, I had a good time with this one. Here's my thing about Paul Ellering. He seems like the most confident man I've ever seen. And I don't <laughs> exactly know why. <laughs> yeah, I've never seen him take a back step for anything. Um, I'll say when he took off his gear... He was a lot more, like, fit than I expected him to be. Like, you know, I guess maybe running around with the Legion of Doom, I should have known. But he was, like, kind of a <laughs> ripped little guy. So, good for him, I guess. Like, sure, why not? I feel like the whole point of this matchup was so he could take his shirt off. <laughs> he seemed to be loving it. Like, no matter how shocked you were, you were you were not as impressed with as Paul Ellering was. <laughs> I think you're probably right about that. I also really enjoyed Sean Mooney saying uh, the genius looked like the Riddler in his nice. um, <laughs> in his outfit. That's another thing I feel like he shouldn't have uh, been allowed to say, but on Coliseum Video, you can get away with some stuff. So, good for you, Is Sean this our Mooney. last Sean Mooney match if he really is gone? Because 
That would be fitting if it is. Wow, you know what? Maybe it is. Maybe you got fired for talking about a piece of pop culture that Vince McMahon didn't know. So that's not true. But uh, yeah, no, this my is my favorite last thing movie in this match. On the set, yeah. I like Blake doing a big power slam on Animal. That was nice. That was nice. I said it before. We haven't really had a chance to appreciate the Beverly Brothers yet, but I actually really like these guys. Um, you know, Mike Enos, Wade Bloom, they'll be around in like a lot of random places at times. This is maybe what they're most well known for. They'll have a, a, a very good showing here. They'll have what I think is a great match with the Steiners. They'll have some other really good matches as we go on here. So I will always kind of stand up for the Beverly Brothers a little bit here. Man, I was, I'm really looking forward to that Steiner brother era of WWF tag wrestling. Same. I mean, even with them probably being treated, uh, on a lower tier than any other company they ever went to still, still the Steiners, I think will do some great work in the WWF. Okay. So here's the thing. I didn't know much about the Beverly brothers, right? Okay. Um, I was actually going to look them up, and I didn't. So, who are they now? <laughs> uh, Mike Enos and Wayne Bloom. They'll be around uh, in a lot of random places. I think they were like the new Minnesota Wrecking Crew at one point in AWA. They um, will uh, be in WCW at various times. Uh, I don't know. You... You'd probably know them from certain places if I could look it up, but uh, they, they look very different as the Beverly Brothers. Like so, they don't usually have the big blonde hair and everything. Okay, what I'm trying to figure out here is... Okay. WCW had a singles wrestler, Mike Ennis, right? Yeah, that's him. So was he in the mat when Scott Hall makes his debut yep. in WCW? Yep, he's in there. He's one of the two. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> Okay, 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 okay. <laughs> they both have these weird kind of under-the-radar careers where they will show up uh, at random times, like kind of in the lower card, and they will they'll do some fun stuff here and there. So there, there's a good connection for you. I knew him better as Mike Ennis than, than, than the Beverly Brothers. There you go. There you go. Wow. That, I wouldn't have, I, mm, okay. They I do finished look the very match, different, I, yeah. I, I'm I'm out of it for a minute, so I need to regroup. <laughs> All right, fair enough. Uh, we go into this match. As we said, Paul Ellering um, looks very fit, very athletic, very muscular. Uh, perhaps um, that could be the reason for the match, as my colleague has said. Uh, I will also say for the genius, I felt bad because we rightfully like kind of trashed the genius six ways from Sunday when he was doing that terrible, like, oh, I'm so gay gimmick, which was really bad. Here, I am pleased that he has really dialed that back. He is more like Niles from Frasier, I think, like kind of like a, a, a poncy, poofy guy um, who is just sort of like in over his head here. Uh, I think he does a much better job. Um, like I said, I thought this was actually a pretty fun match. I enjoyed this here. Oh, God, I'm on the verge of laughing and crying at the same time because I'm still processing my genius and then you drop a Niles from Frasier <laughs> reference. Oh my God! This is too. This is too beautiful. This okay. match may send you for a loop. Apparently, I did not expect Ooh. this. <laughs> Mike Enos to me, I knew him first as Mike Enos. I knew the Beverly Brothers, but I didn't know who they were. So like Mike Enos is kind of like he was consistent, probably a lot on Saturday night. He probably yep. wrestled Luger, wrestled everybody. Yep. But he was to me like a 
like in the Dick Slater, Dick Murdoch, like like a brawler big guy. And he, he's a Beverly brother, you know, so <laughs> I, I'm trying to take that all in. Plus, like, he's in that iconic moment where Scott Hall just walks in between. You know, th- that's one of the great moments in wrestling history, and he's there for that. Yep. But then, like, you're not going to find many better characters than Niles from Frazier. So that's a great compliment for the genius there. <laughs> I think he deserves it. I think he weathered some really bad booking. And um, I always kind of like Lanny Poffo, so I, I wanted to give him a, a positive shout-out for once here. Yeah, and so LOD is another interesting. They're starting to remind me a little bit of Demolition towards the end, where you know they still could be better than they are, but they're they're just gonna not be and be gone eventually. So yeah, they might be gone after know. SummerSlam actually. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. He brought I him in. Know. Vince brought him in, pushed him to like murder Demolition, like embarrassingly, and then almost as soon as Demolition was gone, he was like, eh. I don't really care about you anymore, <laughs> you know? So we'll see him at SummerSlam, but uh, as we will see in the next segment, he will first saddle them with something terrible, and uh, I'll speak more on that as we get there. It's very Flair-like, too, with him winning the Rumble, I mean, even in WrestleMania, and then like he can't wrestle a match well enough, you know, that you got to bring him back. So mm. it's weird how WCW rightfully gets trashed because they change owners and they become ridiculous they're pushing this guy now he's something else or he's gone wwf only has one owner and the same thing happens to people <laughs> very true yes uh people don't talk about that as much do they okay i have no idea i've never seen the stupid thing that's coming next in my life i don't think and i don't know what it is or why it is oh even after watching it i'll have to explain um so yes in this six man tag uh the uh animal rocket launches hawk to victory uh it's nice we're seeing a lot of rocket launchers suddenly in this era so i'm not opposed to that at all uh genius will pick up a doomsday device for his trouble after the match there uh then i uh i'm sad because uh, i feel like this has been scrubbed off the internet a little bit uh, perhaps by wwe or just by coincidence but uh didn't get to see the origin of this i'll explain momentarily if you watch along in the set uh, you will watch this segment, you will skip ahead to a Legion of Doom promo where uh, they will kind of do their normal thing. But behind them, Paul Ellering will be holding a dummy, a mannequin, a ventriloquist's, um, you know, uh, toy. And it won't even talk in this segment, so I don't even know why it was there. But <sighs> this is some very stupid stuff. I, I have seen the origin vignettes for this before. It is uh, like Legion of Doom and Paul Ellering walking around the streets of Chicago talking about like the hard times growing up there. They will come across this like kind of partially torn down building and in the rubble they will find something that they remember from their childhood. It's Rocco the Puppet and he will be a, a sneering little mannequin who accompanies them and talks in promos and just like... Jesus Christ, how could you possibly think that this was a good idea? Like, it is baffling. Like, this is almost lost to history and deservedly so. But you have to shout out just the absolutely abysmally stupid idea that would possibly look at the Legion of Doom and be like, you know what they need? A puppet. Like, all arguments that Vince McMahon is a genius have to be thrown out the window when you look at something like this. 
Yeah, unless he's our attorney. He likes to turn against his own talent rather than just releasing them. I think he likes to have his way with them on their way out the door, and I don't, I don't know if that's going on. But I also have to just be honest and say I've now seen the debut of Paul Ellering with them and the dummy, and so far I think the dummy has done worse, uh, done less damage to them than Paul Ellering. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I never knew you had such beef with Paul Ellering. I'm surprised. That well, he didn't speak. In the, like, if you're not even looking at him, you don't even know he's there. Whereas if you watch WrestleMania 8, so the promo we saw was the debut of the dummy for me. Uh, the debut of Paul Ellering was that WrestleMania 8 promo. So I just suggest people watch them back to back and come to their own conclusions. All right. Okay. That's fair enough. Um, <laughs> oh, well, my God. That's that enough is on that. I don't need to speak more on, on Rocco the dummy, for God's sake. LOD doesn't need any kind of trend. It's funny because they're going to be LOD 2000 later. Like, what is Vince McMahon's need? Like, the thing about LOD, if there's something good about them, you just take them for what they are. Like, you don't try to keep remaking them. I can't believe they came back for seconds. You know, I guess yeah. many talks, but God. <laughs> Great point. Next up, God bless you, because when I was watching Sean in the Rumble, like I had all these things. Oh, I'd like to see Sean versus this guy. And I, one of them was Texas Tornado. And lo and behold, Miss Fan has delivered Sean Michaels versus the Texas Tornado. Asking you shall receive uh, primetime wrestling. We'll see uh, a guy who is uh, definitely already down the drain, but still around, Texas Tornado. He was taking on Sean Michaels. Yeah, he's got no warrior energy. He doesn't run. He's been stripped down like some of his uh, frills and, you know, it's interesting because this is a matchup. This is like the opposite of the model versus Bret Hart. But this is one of my favorite matches because the character work and it's just some little things. Number one, I like these two against each other because Shawn Michaels is having this whole gimmick where he's like half Fonzie, half Uncle Jesse from Full House. And like, you know, oh, my God, he's just so, so beautiful and so arrogant. And yeah, Texas Tornado has a much better body and has the same kind of hair and style. So like. There's something about, because this is a little bit of Chubby Michaels, 94, I think we get really Chubby Shawn Michaels. But the more that he's not what he's supposed to be, it's almost the better his gimmick is. <laughs> oh, man, that's um, that's interesting, yeah. I was trying to figure out when I was watching this if Shawn Michaels is actually attractive. And I guess more so now than he will be. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, he's fair. not exactly like an amazing heartthrob, but there's a rich history in wrestling of uh, non-beautiful people being called beautiful, so I, I'm, I have no problem with it. It's better in a way to me because it's like, yeah. number one, for Sean, like, he's, a, he's from Texas, and this stuff has to be awkward for him at the beginning because it's just, no matter what you think of him later, this is not how he started out. And sure. so, and then you got the whole Sherry angle where, you know, Sherry... Yeah, there's the boy toy angle, and it's Sherry just like you could think she just grabbed any young talent. Like number, she might have went in the back one day and grabbed Marty, thinking that it was Shawn Michaels, you know. So Shawn just ends up here, but this is the mirror stuff. Um, I don't know how I ended up picking two favorite wrestlers in 1991, and in the next two years they both would have mirrors before their matches, but um, <laughs> that happened. Um, but I like the way they're so arrogant, but also it's like they're consumed with this new relationship in themselves that the match is almost an inconvenience for them. <laughs> Definitely a sense of that. We'll see Michael's duck out of the ring. I think more than once. Cause he has to check his face in the mirror, his hair 
all this stuff. And yeah, it's like he, he should have just stayed in the dressing room, maybe. But uh, hey, you know, you got to work, so that's yeah, relatable. Got to make some money. Yep, yep. And also something has changed. Tessa Tornado, I guess, watching the fact that the Bushwhackers can come out and just lick the face holes of children, now just kisses two women on the way to on the way to ringside. Hey, I mean, yeah, once you get past the Bushwhackers, like that's that's much better. So. The face holes. You had to say it like that. Wow. But that's what's so gross about it. Though. That is. Just, no, you're right. You're right. They don't hit face. <laughs> they, they never hit face, man. It's just... <laughs> oh, God. Just the holes. Oh, my God. And this is the end of Tornado. So it's still, to me, like, I love the character work. I love the fact that Tornado... Like, if that's Butch versus Shawn Michaels, then we don't ask, you know, oh, well, Shawn Michaels is actually good looking. You know, like, the gimmick <laughs> just kind of works. But Texas Tornado is just standing in the background. Like, he's not impressed by this. You know, he's not threatened by this. Uh, every time he punches Shawn Michaels, Michaels thinks he broke his jaw or his nose, so he's got to go out there, look in the mirror, got to check in on things. Uh, Tornado is definitely stronger. He shoves Michaels off a lot. He plays the power role. Michaels beautiful bumping along the way. Um, one thing that I love about this is towards the end when Sherry's on the floor and Number one, the claw is applied by Tex Tornado. Michaels is running full speed, and Tornado just spins around and catches him in the claw. Mm. But then he still has the claw, and they're in the ring. But then Sherry's on the floor, so Sherry grabs Shawn Michaels and pulls him to the floor, but the claw is still applied, so it pulls Texas Tornado into the turnbuckle, and so he hurts himself. So that's, that's a nice little spot. That was a very nice spot, yeah. I think you like this match a bit more than me, but there's definitely some fun stuff in it. Um, Sherry, again, like, it never fails. Like, she's a star in every role she's in, so yeah, she's wonderful here. Um, I think uh, Alfred Hayes shocks Gorilla Monsoon by calling her a young maiden, and uh, Monsoon, <laughs> <laughs> he can't sit still for that. You know, he's, he's shocked in his Gorilla Monsoon kind of way, so that's good stuff. But, uh, yeah, no, very interesting Kind of weird finish here, but it kind of worked. I don't know if it came off exactly the way they wanted it to, but it was definitely interesting. Yeah. One other spot real quick before we finish is uh, Tornado does a leapfrog, but he doesn't keep running, so Michaels just turns around right off Tornado's leapfrog and hits him with Sweet Gen music. Yeah, that was very nice. And Sean looking very good here. Uh, I think Carrie honestly looking solidly good. Uh, I always kind of like the guy. I don't know if he's been outed as uh, kind of having that um, – foot uh, issue or not yet so, I mean, he's had it the whole time and I think he's done perfectly well but kind of once that's revealed I think uh, he's quickly kind of pushed out of the company so that's um, think what you will of that I guess I've enjoyed his run in WWF I wasn't sure how I would feel at the beginning uh, it's also nice that Michaels who to me is part of almost a, another era of the IC title to come he, he defeats someone who was part of the previous one which is Texas Tornado yeah, I mean, technically he does defeat him uh, in that spot you were talking about. Both guys would kind of fall out of the ring um, with disastrous results. Michaels kind of hits the mirror yeah. on the way down. And at first I thought it wasn't supposed to happen, and I'm still not entirely sure. Uh, but uh, Sherry will kind of shove Michaels back in the ring, and he will get that count out victory despite basically being uh, out for the count. So it's uh, it's a bit weird, but it works. You know, you definitely see what they're going for. Yeah, and it, it fits to me who they are because, as I said, when Tornado's standing behind him, Tornado looks like the bigger man, the maybe the better man, and and Mike, but Michaels 
Michaels wins the way Michaels wins, and we, there are different kind of heels in pro wrestling. Uh, and early Shawn Michaels is not the um, let's say he's not going to be the same as a Razor Ramon, for example. <laughs> Indeed, not. That's a good point. Okay, so interestingly, we go from that to a WWF tag title match. We got High Energy taking on Money Incorporated. Indeed, July twenty, primetime wrestling, and you know, you know, High Energy getting a tag title shot had to be on the list. So I'm very pleased I was able to find this match, and then we can check it out together with Monsoon and uh, Alfred Hayes on the call here. Yeah, one thing, even watching the series, the, the Legacy series, I don't know the timeline for Blue Blazer, Rocket Owen Hart, New Foundation, and High Energy. <laughs> I mean, uh, we've, we've tracked it out about as clearly as we can, but yes, it is hard to kind of keep that all put together in one place. Okay, so another note I had is, I don't know if anybody did more to put Bret Hart over early, early when he was making his transition in Ted DiBiase, mm-hmm. so it's interesting now to see DiBiase versus Owen Hart. Oh, and they have the best interactions in this match, I think, Owen and DiBiase, uh, early on. All through, uh, they, they, they do some really great stuff together. I didn't realize how much the attire was part of high energy with the kind of pulling up the pants and the suspenders and all that. It will never fail. Face, heel, whoever is on commentary, they will make much conversation of the high energy outfits. The point where I have to imagine this is some kind of rib because mm. you don't get it talked about this much. Like Bobby Heenan will always talk about, oh, well, it's like a car covering or something, and they will say, like, oh, Kogo Beware could gain, like, 400 pounds, and he would still wear the same pants, and just, like, all this, like, commentary about the outfits, so it's it's a bit odd, but it's kind of funny, like, I don't mind it. It also marks the transition, because we're not yet to to the Bastion Boogers and the Bob Sparkplug Holly, but we're, we are in a tag title match where three out of four of the wrestlers are wearing suspenders. <laughs> Oh, that's a great point. Yes. Oh my God. I'll just say I would take ten spark plug uh, before I have to watch Bastion Booger. So I'll yes. just put that out there for a minute. And... I love like I think I like Return the Return the better than you, but this IRS gimmick, like when the when when Irwin is the chant that pisses you off, you got to really think about how things are going. Well, I'll ask this because my relationship with Rotunda is weird. Like I always want to like him. And I always come away a little disappointed. So I'll just ask you, putting aside that very brief York Foundation run, what is your favorite Mike Rotunda stuff? Varsity Club. Okay, all right, fair enough. Yeah, no, that's that's a good call. Varsity Club was really good. Um, perhaps he's just another guy who's just better in uh, NWA, WCW era. Um, I don't think he's ever really going to shine in the WWF. He won't be bad. He won't be terrible, but he's just a guy who I've kind of come to see as dull. Um, so yeah, I mean, uh, it is what it is, you know, judge for yourself as you watch along. It's also Bischoff being a fan of WWF, but not WCW because when he comes back, he's going to be Michael wall street, I think, because that's the closest thing to how do we redo, uh, IRS or money incorporated. (laughs) But, 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 that was just okay. a takeoff of the York Foundation, so it actually was a WCW gimmick originally, right? But York Foundation was... I find that was... Le- uh, I'll think about it. I I'll liked it better, up. but I always thought that they were kind of like ripping that off with IRS. Like, 
oh, he's like a money guy, you know? Oh, so we'll just make that a little different. He's a different kind of money guy, you know? I, there's yeah. some kind of connection there. No, that's a good point. That's a good point. Anyway, uh, this, is a, this is a good match. It's a bit um, short, maybe. I think uh, another one that could have been more. But it's very entertaining for me to watch Owen, to watch Coco, who looks great here. Uh, Ted DiBiase works so well with them. Owen Hart gets a hot tag late in the match, and he is just like the house of fire. It's amazing for me to sit here and think how Owen Hart will spend almost his whole like uh, WWF like notable career as a heel, because in some ways he does feel like a really natural baby face, like in the way he wrestles and the things he can do. He's just a very impressive wrestler. Uh, the enough is enough post Bret Hart babyface Owen Hart could have went as far as they wanted him to go. Yeah, yeah, I I I tend to agree. So we'll pick that up as we go along farther here. Owen Hart is great though. Um, I think it surprised me how good of a heel he was. Yeah, and that's almost maybe that's his problem is, is he's too good at either one of them, and they never really wanted him to be that good at at either. Uh, it's very possible. Um, and there's also a possibility that they'll find out he's just too good at putting other people over. That is a trap yeah. that some people have fallen into. Or it may be the fact that, as we know, he was exceptionally good-natured and he would never kind of, like, maybe push for himself. Um, this is a guy who I think did, did not take wrestling too seriously, which is to his credit. But also you have to wonder, you know, if he was the type to push a little harder, where would he have ended up? I don't know. It's hard to say. Yeah, it's another with the Razor, Luger, and all that. Also, you're not going to... They're not going to put you at the top of WWF if you don't want to 24-7 do nothing but WWF. Yeah, very true. Like Razor was talking, or Scott Hall was talking about when he was, when he left, he wanted more money, he didn't get more money, but like he, he said that until until the 1, 2, 3 kids started kind of putting out fillers for WCW, he didn't really, he didn't even think that he could be wanted by WCW because you're so busy. He's like, you, you got to go to Target and do an autograph signing that you don't even get paid for while you're traveling to the next town, get to the next town. And all you think about is, okay, I got to get to the next place tomorrow. You know, so if you're not willing, especially when this was just like a private organization and it was all Vince's money, like yeah. if every moment of your existence isn't WWF, then you're already disqualified. Right, right. Yeah, that's nuts to even think about that. So that's... um. That's a very good point. Man, who could live the life of a wrestler? That is nuts to me. I don't know how you do it. That's no, you got to stay in shape, too, and you got to eat well, but you're on the road all the time. But you also got to do so much fan stuff that has nothing to do with wrestling, but you got to be good at that and not lose your temper. But you also got to be good at wrestling. I don't know how you sustain yourself. Like Maybe if you're good at it, you can have a good year, but it seems like around year three, everybody would reach their break, just to have a full breakdown. Hey, I mean, uh, look at how many wrestlers ended up kind of like trash in their personal and their mental life. Um, yeah. So not for nothing, like it's an insane lifestyle that I kind of think nobody should do. And, you know, I'm glad they do because I love wrestling. But God, I think I said before, if every wrestler just suddenly quit and the industry closed down, I would be like, it's probably for the best. You know, <laughs> like you guys take care of yourselves, please. Like I would be sad, but it's insane to be a wrestler, I think. Yeah. When the guys that could do it also could barely do it, like you know, it's just it's a lot to ask. But at the same time, you find people. I think that's one of Bret Hart's greatest things, claims to fame, is that he lived and breathed it. So I don't think it was as difficult for someone like Bret Hart, who felt like they were like they he was Bret Hart. 
So all, in a way, all he was doing is going around being who he was. Sure, sure. And some can do it better than others, but even with him, like, what's the drama? Like, he's cheating on his wife, right? And, like, all this mm-hmm. other stuff. So it's not like he came out unscathed in all this. Yeah. I don't think hardly anybody did. And then the flip of that, though, is if you're someone who can do that, for Vince, you get pushed like that, but eventually you got to move on. So that's why when you give all of that and then Vince moves on to the next guy, you also have a breakdown that lasts the rest of your life. Yeah. You know? So it, 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 there's a dark side to all of it, that's for sure. Indeed. We'll just be glad that folks like uh, Scott Hall and Jake Roberts are alive. And they got, you know, kind of yeah. helped out. A lot of guys didn't. So that that's wrestling. Man, <laughs> it's tough to be a wrestling fan and not feel bad sometimes. I'll just say that. Kind of the deeper you get in, the more you're kind of, like, uneasy with it at times. Mm. Especially, I think at least people are making some moves away from it being as strenuous. Yes. But back then... It wasn't not just strenuous, but you're supposed and every unhealthy thing is like this. Then you're supposed to pride yourself on how strenuous it is. <laughs> yeah, like it's nuts. It's very uh, masochistic industry, uh, especially in the past. And yes, I'm very glad schedules tend to be lighter now. And uh, but there's a trade off, too, because now like your matches are harder because you kind of mm. got to like do the crazy stuff all the time. Um, so I don't know. It's still very difficult, I think. So we'll just we'll have hope. The current generation will come out better than the ones before. Yeah. Okay, so we go from that dark ending of wrestlers' careers to <laughs> the debut. This is always so good. The vignette is such a such an underrated thing because oh, I love it. if it's a good character, it's such such a privilege, especially going back to see this. And to me, Razor Ramon falls in the same category as The Undertaker in that. I can see this flopping before I see it succeeding, and yet it will succeed and succeed very well. Absolutely, and I think part of it is, like, the booking, but I think especially with Scott Hall, you have to look at, like, what the wrestler inputs into it. Yes. Because from what I understand, like, this was his idea. He made it happen. It's not perfect. His accent, especially at first, will be, like, horrendous. <laughs> but yeah. it's it just works so well. And I think at this exact same time, there are vignettes – uh, for Crush returning, and, you know, he'll be, like, <laughs> friendly. Cr- like, they're so dumb. Yeah. Like, if you've ever seen this vignettes, it's like him standing around reminiscing about when he was a kid, and when he was a kid, he would crush things, like his toys <laughs> or his cookies or stuff. And, oh, my God, it's, like, the dumbest thing that you ever saw. So, so yes, wrestler input can be very important to your career. So let's all remember that for a moment. Absolutely. I feel like with his accent, this is just my imagination. This is not, of course, factual. But I'm currently binge-watching The Office again for the however many times I've done it. <laughs> and it feels like if Dwight was to come into The Office playing a character and he makes it clear, now, I'm not only this character, I'm going to be the biggest version of this character. And then Jim finds out, oh, he's going to play this character and he's going to be the biggest version of this character. So Jim comes in while he's playing it and he's very attentive, which is odd and Dwight's playing this character as big as he can, and then he gets done, and Jim's like, you know what, no, I like it, but can you go bigger? And I feel like Scott Hall is Dwight, and Vince McMahon is Jim in, in that scenario. <laughs> that's, um, yeah, that's about perfect. Uh, I thought you were going to say it's like Michael Scott trying to do, like, a Cuban accent, and I could oh, see yeah. that as well. But, that too. <laughs> 
he That's will tone it down, thankfully, uh, and it will get better. I, even by like the third vignette here, I think it's a lot better. Um, but yeah, no, he's he's going very heavy on this. Um, clearly, just walked right out of Scarface. So yeah. you know, but hey, it's gonna work. You know, Scott Hall. It's funny because like he's both creative and also like he stole everything from movies. But he did it in mm. such a way that just worked because like there's this, and I think he put a lot into like the crow sting yep. all this stuff and hey you know sometimes it's just knowing the right piece of pulp co- uh, pop culture to borrow and it just works yeah borrow versus steal is also very important yeah yeah because he's still he's a good looking guy he's six foot seven like there's some things that no matter what he does you can't take away from him right but the biggest credit though goes to diamond dallas page because the same way we're talking about how smart scott hall is Scott Hall used to have blonde hair and a gigantic mustache. And so Scott Hall, actually, his wife got pregnant or his girlfriend, and he called DDP thinking about leaving the business. And he was like, you know, I need a job right now because I got to make money right now because I got a child on the way. And DDP suggested, like, stay in wrestling, shave that mustache, dye your hair black. And then DDP suggested throwing the toothpick at the camera. Mm. Man, DDP, he's, he's another one. He's just great. Everything I hear yeah. about DDP is always good, so I'm, I'm happy about that. And all of that's amazing, but then on top of that, the moment that WWF saw him on TV with the black hair, Pat Patterson called and said that Vince McMahon was interested in him coming over, but he had a one-year contract, so you know he was super freaked out because he wanted to go ahead and leave, but like they just told him, you know, hey, we'll still be around in a year, and but, so if he doesn't have that change, there's no way that the uh, blonde haired giant mustache guy is going to be uh, doing any of this. No, no way. Yeah, I didn't even know that story, but uh, I, I know that mustache. Every time I see it, I'm like, no, you know, it's not, yeah. it doesn't work, you know, so. Uh, how scary, though, to be like, oh, you could get like your dream job now, but oh, you have to wait a year. Oh, we'll probably be here, you know. Jeez, I would have like an ulcer about that. Oh, he was freaked out. I think he said that he, eventually he still had to call him every week because, you know, a year later, no matter what they told you, they've moved on. They're thinking about other things, you know? Sure, yeah. So that's tough. But you see what they did to get to get where they're going. And there's a flavor to Scott Hall that, to me, good and bad, well, however you want to look at it, this Razor Ramon character, to me, might be the biggest ushering in of the new generation. Like the spirit and energy of that era, this might be the most that I felt that in a way and it's weird because in a way with the vignettes it's almost a, a golden era like big guy big character but it's also this is one of the one of the uh, energies and personalities of the new generation exclusively yeah no i mean that's a great point i think he easily could have come along at an earlier time and yet there is like a very early 90s flavor to him and i think it may be just like in what he wears, because like yeah. nobody will be uh, exemplifying these like bright early '90s colors and weird patterns like Razor Ramon will be. So uh, he's got that going on. It's just the whole aesthetic, something about it. It just hits home and it, it works in a good way. Yeah, it's big and it's over the top, but like his first feud is going to be one on nothing but masculinity. So you know, <laughs> it's not off base for where they're going. Oh, indeed not. But again, you know, it works where others maybe will fail or where even somebody else trying to do this gimmick, I think, would have failed. So, you know, it's just eh. (sighs) I really like Razor Ramon. I'm very glad that he's here. We have a lot of good stuff to talk about. 
Yeah, and there's some good stuff with this because it starts off just him in the Cadillac with the dice and everything's big, everything's over the top. But there's, there's some sequencing going on because in the second promo and the third promo, there'll be somebody else at the end of each promo. And what we'll start seeing is he abuses the guy at the end of the second one. He takes food from him and says he takes what he wants and he spits the food like in the guy's face. But then there's also someone at the end and his abuse gets worse and worse and worse. So we're also going somewhere with the vignettes because we see that when he's dining at a restaurant and they actually bring him the bill, he gets so disgusted because you know who I am. Like I could bring 10,000 people in here just by shopping here or just by eating here. And then he cleans the table. What does he say? Um, maybe I should mop your floor. You know, maybe I should clean your teeth. Maybe I should wash your dishes. And then he says, you want me to clear the table? He throws everything on the floor. So we're seeing that he is both partly like this personality, this machismo, but is all of that that's a cover up for like a petty small man, you know, who just has to abuse his way to where he's going. So we're getting some things going on in the vignettes. Yeah, I mean, just in these uh, fairly simple scenes, there's so much you can build off of. You know what this character is prideful of. You know what makes him uh, angry. You know what it looks like when he loses his temper. You know, there's so much that you can uh, build off his character just off of these little scenes. So I have to give absolute credit. You know, these vignettes, they're so simple, yet they do so much for the guy. Like, a good vignette is worth so much more than any like normal promo hardly I think. Yeah. And it's so WWF but I think it's also so good that to pair him with Macho Man I think is such an interesting first choice. It is and I don't know if we'll ever get them to have like a a, a real singles match which I think is a real falling out of this uh, whole scenario but um we'll get to that as we go along, I think there are actually a number of missed opportunities, even though I do like this storyline that is coming up. But, uh, yeah, we're going to have this Razor Ramon, Randy Savage thing, and it's going to blow up real soon. Yeah, I'm so excited because I don't really remember Brett and Razor from Rumble at all, so I'm excited about that. Mm. Then the model who we saw against Bret Hart, that's going to be the guy who's going to put him over later. So yep. we got some very interesting stuff coming. We do, we really do, yeah. I mean, uh, there's going to be no shortage of great Razor Ramon stuff. I mean, he's going to be fighting Vader, I think, before he leaves. So, yeah, yeah, I have no idea what that looks like, but I'm definitely interested. Okay, folks, we are at the very beginning. And again, it's easy to get lost in Shawn Michaels. It's easy to get lost in Diesel. Uh, But yeah, like you said, in between, you got the one, two, three kid who has such a great early legacy. And you got Razor Ramon, who is just, such a question mark, like main eventing as a heel almost in his debut. And then he doesn't main event a lot more, but he also turns baby face. So, you know, how much it's weird for how much he changed from Vince's original plan, but also he never went further, but he never went lower either. You know, so he's going to be a very just consistent guy. I think that's what he prides himself on too, is that you could use him for anything and it's going to succeed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're going to see so much interesting stuff coming up. You know, there'll be flaws, but um, there'll be some wonderful stuff also. So we're going to keep unearthing as much as we can here. Okay, so we go from that to something that I either saw as a child or never saw. I don't know which one. (laughs) It is the perfect picnic. uh, Two men and um, a random woman in between them. Uh, (laughs) Mr. Perfect and Ric Flair having a picnic in the WWF. 
Absolutely so, and they uh, they have something that they're gonna show everyone. They have a message on an answering machine mm. that uh, is the sound of Miss Elizabeth, and she is uh, sweet talking somebody. And they say, "Oh, this is Ric Flair's answering machine." So here's proof she's still uh, coming on to Ric Flair. So they they will not be dissuaded from their uh, stance here. You know, pictures or not, they have this answering machine, and they're gonna use that as evidence. <laughs> It's getting more and more difficult to question them, you know. <laughs> They're very diligent. <laughs> They're very dedicated, absolutely. Well, tell that to uh, Hillbilly Jim and Jim Duggan in the uh, primetime studio, who we'll see in a clip after this match. So, What I like so much is that Ring Flair has now had a fake affair, but he still has to, like, dump her at the end and, like, try to get the best of her, even though she never <laughs> existed in the, in the actuality at all. So... You learn a lot about his character. Just like with Razor Ramon, these heels, like they have this this outfit, this persona. They're larger than life, and they're also maybe very, very small and petty at the same time. Absolutely. I mean, if you – we've touched on this many times, I think, over the course of uh, the Legacy Series going back to WCW. But I think a lot of – when you talk about a great wrestling character, I think you have to ask, like, what are they prideful about? What would they be ashamed about? You know, these are the things that I think really drive the most interesting characters and stories. So, yeah, you get Ric Flair, and there's no way he's going to stand for, like, the shame of this idea that, like, he didn't really have this affair. So he will continue on with it, and, you know, he will show this evidence, and it's very shady evidence once again, but he will be very prideful of it, and, you know, it, it just drives this character in such an interesting way. Yeah. I agree. Those are great questions to ask. And if they can't be answered, then you might be wasting people's time with your character. Um, Indeed. One thing I do like a lot, though, is what makes him Ric Flair on top of that is that all of that can be true. But at the end of the day, he still remembers what it's about. So at the end, he says, you're not coming back, baby, but the belt is. Yep, so yep. he still he never loses sight. That's why, at least at, t at the time of this recording, he is still tied with John Cena for WWE's you know, most title reigns. <laughs> That's right. Cena's back here to, uh, man. All right. I'm not even going to comment on all that. Let's just move on. <laughs> Is that AEW or WWE that you're about to say? I was going to talk about WWE, um, but what's the point? So. <laughs> yeah, we're recording this on uh, July 25th. So at, at this moment, it looks like we got Cena and uh, Reigns and then probably moving into the Rock and Reigns. And meanwhile, Daniel Bryan and, and CM Punk are rumored to be coming to AEW. Very strong rumors, very interesting. I was just going to say that Cena's reigns are, like, fake, practically. But yeah, then some of Ric Flair's are, too. So, you know, I, I don't want to get into that whole conversation. So I think, and I could be wrong because I don't watch a lick of wrestling, but I would think that they're going to use Cena to put reigns over to get him ready for The Rock instead of having Cena. I don't think they should do, if they're going to do Cena's title reign, I don't think it should be right now. I, I, yeah, I mean, from what little I know, I would be surprised if Cena went over, but um, who knows, you know. So. Yeah, maybe he could and then, you know, have Reigns beat him back, but I, I would prefer that Reigns just stay strong. If he's go, if we're going to Reigns and Rock, then go to Reigns and Rock. I would prefer I don't care, so. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very divorced from uh, from John Cena at this point, so that uh, I don't really care what happens to him. Yeah, I could happily never see John Cena again. So, 
I am with you on that, sir. Right. Uh, just real quick, because they're kind of, AEW is going to be in Chicago in September for All Out, if I'm not mistaken. They are. What do you think the reaction is if one of them show up? God. I think there or anywhere, the reaction for either one has got to be enormous. I mean, I think these are the two two of the most important signings they could realistically make. And for as strong as the rumors are, I don't know. I'm really thinking that uh, at least one of them will show up. And, man, like, it's going to be great, I think. As an AEW fan, I would love to see either one come in. It would feel like a big deal. It would feel very fresh. And I'm just a big fan of both guys. CM Punk, you know, he's got his attitude, and, you know, that's something. But... This is a guy who I think revitalized kind of all of wrestling, at least in the minds of uh, wrestling fans, a guy who drew interest from people who really had no interest left. And uh, it's been a while, but I don't know, just like I think he's a transcendental figure in some ways, so that is one thing. And then Daniel Bryan, I mean, we know the enormous popularity that he has achieved. We know that he is one of the greatest wrestlers uh, in the ring of his generation. We know that he has charisma. He has shown it. Uh, all this stuff, so either one of them would be such a great get, and um, one or the other or both, like, I would just be very glad to see them, and yeah, they'll blow the roof off Chicago if they're there, I really believe that. It feels like both of them, like, you never know in wrestling, but it feels like both of them are coming, like... the, the rumors are strong, yes. I don't want to, you know, by the time this airs, everyone will know probably, but in this time... Uh, like you said, you never know, but yeah, it does feel like both. And man, what a thing that would be! I would, I would be very pleased to see it as a big AEW fan. Conan said he asked uh, Tony Khan if CM Punk was coming, and Tony Khan just smiled and said, "You know, I can't tell you that." <laughs> so I mean, I don't know. If you, if only one could come, who would you want it to be? I feel like Punk would be bigger. So I'll say yeah. Punk, even though long term I probably like Brian more. I don't know. It's a tough. It's a tough choice. I think Punk would make a bigger splash because he's been gone so long. Um, I think he did shake up wrestling in a way that not even Brian could. I don't know. It's hard to say. Like they both have a lot of strong points. I don't think either would cause me to watch, but. Even though I think I'm the same way, I would like Daniel Bryan. I would enjoy Daniel Bryan personally more. I think CM Punk would be more likely at least to get me to at least watch a promo because it's still it's historical if he comes. And in a world where WWF is going back to John Cena and The Rock and they're bringing in Daniel Bryan and CM Punk, we might be in a moment of time where like there are no cards left on the table where like the only thing you ever do is bring in people who have been around. Like All the cards will have been played, it feels like, at that point. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, if that's true, it'll come down to um, who is there for those people to work with and uh, can they be worked with in interesting ways. So, you know, all power to those uh, who who tend towards WWE. But, man, when I think about CM Punk and Arn Anderson possibly, like, having a promo with each other um, or, you know, Daniel Bryan and, like, Darby Allin, you know, you've got MJF in there, you've got Eddie Kingston in there. Just, like, the possibilities are very deep. For me as a fan in AEW, so like there's a lot that could be going on there. Yeah, and like we said, by the time this airs, one of them might be there, the other might be in WWE or back in the Ultimate Fighting, or like God only knows. But sure. Uh, what I will say is, I have to wonder the timeline if both of them end up there because it'd be interesting to me. Who did they talk to each other? Did one of them talking to AEW um, allow the other one to consider going to AEW? Like the timeline will be very interesting as well. 
I think Punk may have said he'd be more interested in AEW if Brian goes there. Yeah. Uh, you know, Punk, it's debatable if he has any friends, you know, just from his attitude, but I think there are people that he probably enjoys working with more. And Brian, like, I've never heard a bad word about Brian. I think everyone would want to work with Brian wherever he was. So, yeah, I think that's probably the influence if there is one. Man, it's going to, and that's all out. Is that where uh, John Moxley made his debut? I believe so, yeah. So, like, when he was on the top of that gigantic uh The, the coin, yeah, piece. or the, the poker chip, yeah. Yeah, so if they do another thing like that, that's really too building, like, legacy over time about what these shows can mean, too. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they got that. They got the, the, the New York show that they're doing, which sold, like, I think almost, like, 20,000 tickets or something. Mm. Um, so, I don't know. Yeah, they feel like they're uh, coming in hot here. They got some big shows coming up, so big stuff could be happening. So, And the thing... The thing that really makes me happy about AEW, as a fan, as someone who's into AEW, even if these two guys don't come, I've been having a great time with this stuff. Like, there's such a focus on people who I think are deserving, who have earned it, and even though I'm not, uh, I don't love everything they do, but um, I don't know. Like, even if these guys don't come in, I feel like they're still in such a good position, but these two guys coming in, like, that just pushes them even more over the top. So it's like a wealth of riches for a guy like me, a wrestling fan who's really just having a great time with this product right now. Yeah, we'll we'll see how this aged by the time it comes out. Sure, Who knows? sure. <laughs> <laughs> Could be totally different. You never know. Okay, so we're we're moving into what we both said might be our favorite match, but it's also one of the strangest pieces as we talk about transitions, errors, uh, times that maybe don't aren't even errors. This uh. July 20th, 1992, Savage and Brett versus Flair and Shawn Michaels. Uh, Jim Ross and Bobby Heenan are on commentary. <laughs> yes, Jim Ross commenting clearly from the future, as he's not even in the company yet at the time this is recorded. So, so yeah, some commentary being added in later for sure, probably in 1993 when this was probably released. Um, but, yeah, Jim Ross, Bobby Heenan, a weird but intriguing commentary team, and then Holy smokes, Randy Savage and Bret Hart against Ric Flair and Shawn Michaels. Like, all four of these guys are probably in conversation for, like, top 25 of all time. Like, greatest mm. of all time could be easily in that range. These are elite-level guys. They are all in very good shape. They are at or near their prime. This is my favorite match. I will say that pretty confidently as I think back because it's just it's like a perfect storm of this great talent. And this match, I think maybe more than any of these, feels like, I don't know, just like, I don't know if it's the length of it or the way it's worked, but man, it just feels like a big deal. It feels like this transition that we're talking about. You know, if they were still doing tag matches on top of SummerSlam, this should have been the match, you know, and I almost wish it was. So there's some brilliant stuff going on here. Yeah, no disrespect to the others. This is by far my favorite. Yeah. I said it should be, I, it should have main event Saturday night's main event or Clash of the Champions, but I'd also go with SummerSlam as well. Sure. Like, I take this over the Warrior uh, Savage match <laughs> that we're going to get. So, a um, couple of things. Number one, like, how many guesses would you need in 1992? If I, if this was January of 1992 to figure out. That with Savage and Bret Hart versus Flair and Shawn Michaels, you got the world title main event of WrestleMania of that year and the Survivor Series of that year, but there's no overlap in between. 
yeah, how wild is that? That again, that's the transition for sure. Oh my god. Yeah. That's unbelievable. Yeah. It is. It is. Um, one other thing that is also really cool is two years ago, Sherry was managing Randy Savage. Now she's managing Shawn Michaels. And in two years, she'll be managing Ric Flair in WCW. She will. I almost forgot about that. Thank you for reminding me of that. That's like, in my mind, I was jumping right to Harlem Heat. But yeah, she has that period with Ric Flair. That's good yeah. stuff, too. So good, good, good reminder. So every which way you go, this is just iconic uh, for the time that it's in. Uh, you got Jim Ross calling Ric Flair like he's a WCW guy, not because all the styling and profiling, walking the aisle, none of that is WWF like uh, language. Uh, so this whole weird thing where Jim Ross is just being Jim Ross, you know, is happening too. It is, yeah. I think uh, he will definitely become like a WWF lifer or almost so, yeah. and not not lifer because he's an AEW now, but like he will adapt to the style quite a bit. Um, but, uh, yeah, right now, like this could have been his first day in the company for all we know, like we have not heard Jim Ross of the WWF before and he's walking straight out of, um, you know, in this time frame, what he's probably calling like the dangerous Alliance, um, matches. Mm. So, so to go from there right to this, like that's quite a transition. Yeah. All of this is strange, but yeah, like we said, what it produces is a match that deserves to be on an even higher card with more spotlight on it absolutely because this is another i would think yeah just like coliseum video or something but this could have been way way up the line because uh it's it's great stuff like this is a fantastic match i really enjoyed this match yeah early on you got like savage is thrown off the ropes, but he tags brett on the way over mm. uh, he picks up sean gives him an inverted atomic drop and and uh brett comes off with a clothesline or savage comes off with a clothesline so you know both of them work well together. Like I saw Michaels in the Royal Rumble with Flair. I was like, man, they look interesting together. They were great as a tag team. Uh, I, I, I have the highest praise for every single person individually and how they work together in this. So good. It's wild. You look at this and you're like, these four guys should be holding up the main event for at least like a year, a year and a half out of this. And you know, that's not going to be the case because two of these guys are going to get like put in the fridge in about five minutes and yet, look at how they are killing it here. Like, it's just such good stuff. It's also a match where Bret Hart's the WW, or Savage is WWF champion, but he is going to take the beatdown for the entirety of the match and, and make the hot tag to the IC champion. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Bret Hart will get that hot tag. And uh, if that's not a sign, I think that they're already thinking of transitioning maybe to Bret mm -hmm. Hart. Like, that should tell you right there. Because, yeah, it's Savage with the beatdown and Bret with the hot tag. Yeah, I also praise Shawn Michaels for I like all the character work in the match with Tornado, feeling like the match is an inconvenience. I liked it that he, he was a complete opposite here because you don't show up teaming up with Ric Flair and wrestling Randy Savage and act like that. So I love this, a completely different Shawn Michaels in this matchup. Absolutely, and I think it is a credit to Michaels because I think he understood like different things for different matches. You know, that's necessary. I think there are plenty of guys who would have just taking like their gimmick you know if it was dumb or distracting or whatever they would just yeah. get it into this match but he does not at all you know he he's here to do some business and he does a great job absolutely i noted that savage's short fall down left clothesline is on par with jake's short clothesline mm. 
so good. And like the straight jabs of Randy Savage also mm. is something I will always praise. I don't know if hardly anyone ever did him so well. I 100% agree. Uh, while we're just like heaping praise, <laughs> Ric Flair. Okay, so mm. this is weird because this also came off of Bret Hart critiquing Bret Hart's in this match, but. Flair is so dynamic and animated. Like he will throw a chop that hits right, and the look on his face, you would think it's the first chop he ever threw in his life. Mm. Like he's smack talking, he's smiling, he's almost glowing. And that is what I think others have tried to explain on Ric Flair's side. Because Bret Hart has said, like, oh, he wrestles the same match his whole career. His matches are not for himself. They are for the live audience. Yeah. And he works it every single time like it's the first time. And that's not for him. That is for the audience. And just watch him. I can't remember where it's at. And it might be on Savage, but he throws a chop and he just starts talking and everything. And it really just feels like it's the freshest thing out. And that's just what Ric Flair does. And that's what he brings to the table. Yeah, I never thought about it exactly in these terms before, but Bret Hart, I feel like, very much works for the audience at home, and that doesn't necessarily mean he only, like, plays to the camera or anything, but, like, the way he builds his, like, finishes out over time and, like, the way he works, I think he's really thinking about that viewer at home who's watching him week over week over week, and that, you know, there's there's a lot of strength to that, but Ric Flair, I think, more than almost anybody this side of, like, Hulk Hogan is always thinking about that fan in the audience. And I think that is part of what made him so great, made him so enduring. And we talked about it. Like, if you know how to play to that live crowd, I think you will be uh, beloved or at least getting these strong reactions almost no matter what you do. And then, of course, he's great on top of that. But, yeah, he is thinking always of that person in the live crowd who came out, paid a lot of money probably to come see this show. He's going to give him that show. And I think... Both things are great, but yeah, to to be dismissive of what Ric Flair does, I think, um, you know, is missing the point because what he does is really brilliant, I think. That's such a great point because, again, it's the opposites that seem similar at first. And I think it's why really, really smart fans like Bret Hart and then over time his legacy grows because you almost need a study guide with Bret Hart because (laughs) if he's for the fans at home, then that means you need to be able to pause and rewind and really pay attention to the detail. Whereas Flair is sometimes a little bit obvious, but like you said, he's playing for a whole different, uh, almost genre for wrestling. Absolutely. So and I'll just say again, you know, we're heaping praise on Bret Hart and we should, cause I think he does a great job in this time, but has he watched his own matches? Cause he does a lot of the same stuff every time yeah. also. So I don't know what he's saying sometimes. <laughs> Yeah, you can't be a WWF champion and not fall like Hogan, Cena, like anybody. Like, like, oh my God! Like the ladder match, you'll push the ladder away. We'll get to that in a minute. We're gonna get Sean and Brett in a ladder match, but push the ladder away so he can do backbreaker and you know, or Russian leg sweep and <laughs> yeah, you know, right, Russian leg sweep, jump off the second rope, you know, atomic yeah. drop. You know, we, we we've seen it, Brett. You, we we we've done it before, so. And you'd be stupid not to, because like if he sure. came out with a whole different set every time, it'd be like, oh, instead of building my brand, I'm just going to start over every time you see me. Like, who, who's dumb enough to do that? Right, like the most uh, flippy, chaotic, like, wrestler you might see today. Guess what? They still have, like, spots that they do, because that is literally yep. key to wrestling. So, I don't know. It's a, it's a weird critique, 
that I think maybe comes out of uh, something personal more than something practical. That's why I guess a lot of this because uh, Michaels is not even an IC guy and Brett is not a world title guy. So a lot of this is pre-ego inflation. So you can get Sean and Brett together. There's no problem. You can get Brett and Flair together. There's no problem. So this is a beautiful, innocent moment in time where we get to enjoy these things because what is to come has not yet come upon us. <laughs> oh, man. it I don't know what it says exactly, but, yeah, Bret Hart will develop problems with almost everyone in this match. Um, you know, maybe not Savage, but maybe he never got a chance to. So I don't know what that says exactly. Yeah, right now Bret Hart is the come-up guy, and like Miss Van said really smartly, I didn't think about that. Maybe that's the agent in the WWF having the smart tag for Brett because like he is the next man up, you know. And maybe, I don't know if they know that at the time, you know. We're pretty close but, to Brett winning that title, so I think yeah. they must have had some idea. Unbelievable. So Brett Hart will get the hot tag and he will kind of take care of both men, but it will be Savage that will sneak back in to get the pin and again pulling the trunks, which is becoming a signature of this era and this run of Randy Savage. I don't know if that counts as babyface privilege or not. I don't know if Savage ever really tried to claim babyface privilege in this era, but uh, it's certainly adjacent. Um, but, hey, you know, sometimes you do what you got to do to win. Yeah, I'm not mad at him. In a matchup with this kind of talent, I think you do what you got to do to get a victory. Fantastic match. Please watch this one. If you only have time to watch one, watch this one. Wonderful tag match. Yeah, you can't love pro wrestling and its history and all the good things and not love this matchup. You you get four different styles. You get however many different errors. You get you get everything that you could ask for except Sean Mooney uh, calling it. Yeah, yeah. But, hey, are we really going to cry about Jim Ross and Bobby Heenan? <laughs> I don't think so. Good they do point. a good job. They do a good job. Okay, so I forgot this was here. This is almost like going into a different world. And I will say this real quick because – I don't blame anybody for not feeling sorry for Hulk Hogan for making all the money in the world and main eventing forever. Mm. But if you ever want to know the plight of a main event star, Randy Savage just went from one of the most interesting people on the planet to just another person that I've got to sit through in this because oh, no. to me, this is all, all costume and no wrestler. I didn't watch the match, but like watching the, the just the initial image of Warrior and Savage, like could they have – Savage's got boots on, then pants on, then a shirt on, then a jacket on, then glasses on, then a cowboy hat on, and a little bit of beard. So it's like, <laughs> ah, two, the, the two biggest gimmicks in the WWF gimmicking against each other for no reason. Because they're, they're stupid. You know, it's just a little bit. <laughs> I will go and get my energy out, and then we have a fair analysis of this. But I don't know how stupid that you have to be to be two baby faces who both really believe Mr. Perfect and uh, Ric Flair that the other one has betrayed them. You know, <laughs> we're supposed to believe he's still with Elizabeth. So he didn't believe that she had an affair or that she was still with him or she was calling him or whatever. But neither of them can grasp the fact that they might be lied to by Ric Flair or Mr. Perfect. It's okay, a, I'm done. It's a strange angle. I'll first say about Randy Savage, um, as much as I've enjoyed him in this era... I'm reminded of a point I made uh, many years ago in Legacy Series time that Savage in the short trunks, you know, and kind of his classic gear always has an edge, I think, over this Randy Savage. Because, yes, at times he will be so buried in um, clothes and costumes and stuff that you can barely see the guy. Like, 
in the um, the first match we talked about, the one with Shawn Michaels, he's wearing, like, every color of the rainbow, like, wrapped around him three or four times, and it's just it's just too much sometimes. Like, yes. it, it's just a lot uh, visually to take on with Randy Savage, and it's all stuff he doesn't need. Yeah, that's the worst part. And his body is not what it used to be, and I don't know when they're going to go out to steroids or what he's doing, but it just feels like this is what Vince McMahon needs of him. Like, you know, if you're going to be our world champion and you're six foot one, we're going to give you shoulder pads and a cowboy hat and, you know, <laughs> this color and this color. And Savage needs none of it. And WWF, to me, like I said before, when they're, when, when they're at their best, there are all these different colors. Mm-hmm. And maybe sometimes when they're at their worst, there are all these different colors. <laughs> Drowning Randy Savage in colors. So. Best- it- Put him by the Warriors, stupid Bobby Brady haircut, return Warrior with all his different colors. And then Ric Flair and uh, Mr. Perfect are in the ring in, like, their khakis probably and all that. And they look like they're calling from a different generation or a different world. You know, it just, it feels lazy. Like, they they call him the macho chicken, and he just, like, shoots off the ramp because he's so mad he doesn't know what to do. (laughs) He's irritable because he was so hot in all that clothing, I think, you know? (laughs) It's nuts. Like what you were saying, it does kind of feel like Vince McMahon will just keep putting clothes on him, putting clothes on him, putting clothes on him, trying to, I don't know, like maybe cover up his body. I don't think he ever looks bad, but like I'm not Vince McMahon. So it feels like at the (laughs) end of this, he'll put the whole wardrobe on him and then it'll be like, I still don't like it. Just go to the commentary booth. Oh, and keep all the clothes on too while you're there. (laughs) Like. Uh, yeah, I believe that, and like, there's pretty good evidence for that. Yeah, and then it's like generic stuff because like they're gonna wrestle the nasty boys, and you said obviously skip that, but you know, this is what it's like. We you know we've critiqued Hulk Hogan for all this lazy main event stuff, but I still haven't watched it. And here's my guess: they're wrestling them, and they might get a little mad at each other, and things might get a little crazy, and who knows who's on whose side and what's going on, you know. It is so generic right now that if they weren't teaming up in a tag match before they wrestled each other, then this would not be a WWF babyface title match. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, so as as, as my uh, partners already touched on, basically this comes down to uh, Mr. Perfect and Ric Flair will each try to convince Savage and Warrior that the other is like making a backroom deal with Mr. Perfect to be the manager at SummerSlam. And this is such a lame gimmick despite involving a lot of good people because it doesn't work on a number of levels. A, like you said, I don't know how stupid you'd have to be to really believe this. I mean, I guess warrior could be that stupid, but you know, they're portrayed yeah. as like on the same level of gullibility warrior and savage, which makes no sense to doing it to both of yeah. them. So if you turn on the TV and you know that you're not working with him, <laughs> you know that they're saying that <laughs> then you might also figure out that maybe the other one's not either. Right. If they built up a bigger history of like, like tricky things happening, maybe, but not even that. There's like no real precedent for that. And two, if Mr. Perfect was your manager, so what? <laughs> Has Thank Mr. You. Perfect ever like changed the course of a match that much? Like I like Mr. Perfect, but he didn't help <laughs> Savage uh, get beat at WrestleMania. So what's the difference going to be here? Like it's all a lot of noise around nothing. That was my next point. They have officially gone on the record, and we'll see this at the end with the Warrior promo, that if both of them, I think, have gone on the record that if Perfect 
is managing the other one, they will lose the match. <laughs> Can you imagine insane. Hulk Hogan ever saying that? Oh my god. I Here's what I was just thinking about Hulk Hogan. Um, we, we've talked a lot about, oh, he kind of wanted to run away to Hollywood and all this stuff, and yeah, that's true, but man, Hulk Hogan is a guy who I think really knew when to leave sometimes. Mm-hmm. Not always, but like... I don't know, if you're Hulk Hogan and you look around this WWF and you see, like, Papa Shango knocking at your door and, like, some of this other booking stuff that's going on, man, maybe you're thinking, hey, this could be the ideal time for me to go off and uh, leave for Hollywood. So I think maybe he made a good move there, actually. Yeah, he's got good instincts for that. And this is, again, why I mean that Warrior is the great transition here. Mm. And I'm sorry if you enjoyed this because we should have – started analyzing it before I went off, but like <laughs> it just made me so angry to watch Savage versus Sean and then that tag match, knowing what Savage's goals were, which was to have long promos with Brett and Michaels and be retired by Michaels at the end. And then this guy in in like it makes him look like a grandpa, even though that's the whole thing I think they're trying to avoid. Right. And then we'll play this back. You got the links at home. I played it back three or four times, and I still don't know. Is this the quote that we start with? The warrior, I think, says to Savage, you must have misunderstood you. Say what? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's right. I've played it like three or four times. It's nice to say, I must have misunderstood you, but I think he says, you must have misunderstood you, Pauls. Say what? <laughs> I'm like, my God, I don't know what the hell's going on. This is not, this is not it, folks. No, it's bad. You know, Savage, this should have... The feud, if it had to happen, should have been about the fact that this is around the time where Ultimate Warrior is wearing his uh, outfit, which makes him look naked. And I think just for that, Randy Savage should have, like, sworn death on him. So, you know. <laughs> oh, oh, my. It's so bad. It's bad because they do all this. But then, you know, like, the <clears throat> at the start, I, I have to keep keeping complaints on this. And honestly, if you like this, please tell me why. Like, if it's a nostalgia thing, okay, sure. If it's something else, uh, like, please explain, because this is not working for me, because on top of all this stupid stuff, like, the core of this is at the start, like, Savage tries to fight Flair Perfect, they kind of beat him up, Warrior saves him, oh, but then they kind of, like, fight each other, and how is this not exactly what Warrior did with Hogan, which also didn't work, which, like, did not draw well, so why would it work any better now? It's just, like... A, a wealth of like lame ideas and like rehashed ideas and just stuff that, you know, there's a very good reason that Brett main evented with Bulldog over this match. And not just because Bulldog was from the UK. Honestly, I just think that match was a lot more interesting. I agree. hundred um, percent. This is the, this is Savage's retirement match too. And it's like, these are not the same people. Like the warrior is not the same and I, I'm going to ask you two questions. I think the first one's fair enough to answer either way. The second one, I don't know. There might only be one answer to the second one. But these are – I'm not trying to be provocative. I'm just, like, considering <laughs> things. Okay. What is the bigger, bigger fall-off? The Ultimate Warrior of WrestleMania 6 and 7 and this Ultimate Warrior that has come back, you know, the five foot seven Bobby Brady-looking guy, or this guy and the Renegade Warrior? Oof. <laughs> okay, then here's my second question. Who was better in WCW, the Renegade Warrior or the Ultimate Warrior? Oh, definitely Renegade. I okay, so at that. least one of them, the Renegade wins. 
You know, that's, that's is that not an amazing thing, even by itself? It 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 is. It's a testament to um, how useless the warrior was. I think. Um, I'm still thinking about that first question. Yeah. It's, uh, it's it's probably worse to go from '92 to Renegade than from '90 uh, to '92, but it's not as big a distance as you would think. Yes, and the Renegade is damned from the beginning because you can't have a gimmick like that and not be a complete joke no matter what you do. Especially and since, yet, if you remember, they tried to like make it out like he was the Ultimate Warrior yes. first, so you're doomed from the start. So, and the, yeah, I think you still have to think about it. Yeah, you do. And that's something, because the thing I realized in watching the original Warrior, at least for me this time, I thought he sucked. Yeah. And so the things that made it work, he he was bigger than this. His music was a thing. He beat Honky Tonk Man, who had the longest title reign a certain way. He beat Hulk Hogan. You know, there are all these correct trappings. All of that is gone. Yeah. And all that's left is what is left, which was what was never was. And <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen a greater fall off. And he's only going to – like this warrior in 92 who does nothing, who's a flat zero – is like the greatest of all time compared to his WCW work. So like how many levels does he fall from beating Hulk Hogan at WrestleMania to where he ends up? Let's not remember. He wasn't good then either, but um, at least like you said, he had those good trappings around him. He really had the machine trying to make him like as good as he could be. And yeah, I mean, if you ran the machine, I mean, you and I, we wouldn't have brought him back in the first place, but let's say you did yeah. bring him back. But, man, are you really going to put that same amount of effort into this guy that you did before? Like, I have to imagine bringing back Warrior was kind of like a begrudging thing in the first place because mm-hmm. you're losing Hogan. You don't have faith in these other guys. So you're like, all right, well, I'll do Warrior. But, like, it's not going to be the same because you had this blow up and you both have this ego and he's different and you're different and the world is different and it's just – I don't know. It's just a mess. It really is. It's just the wrong person at the right time, wrong time. Because two, if Hulk, if the fans are down on Hogan, the fans are down on steroids, the fans are down on that look, and you're gonna go to Bret Hart who doesn't vomit, you know, at Voodoo. <laughs> you know, this is not an era for big music and all that stuff. Like you're even the music stuff probably wouldn't work. So it's just Warriors never gonna work. I think they played themselves. And like you said, begrudgingly, they had to do what they had to do when they bring in the Warrior. And the sad thing is the WWF, does again, doesn't part from Warrior. Warrior parts from them, you know, and they'll bring them back again in 96. So there are no lessons to be learned. There really aren't. It really does feel like that with Warrior. I mean, I don't know how much you could have done with him anyway, but if you've ever done something half-heartedly, uh, you know, like you kind of made up your mind to do something, but then you just did like a bad job of it because your heart wasn't in it. That just feels like this whole warrior run to me, like they brought him back because I guess they thought they had to. But then I don't know if they even really tried. I mean, I guess they tried like they 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 did the vomiting thing with him. <laughs> but um, if that's what you're doing, I don't know. But it's nuts because, yeah, he was going to be in that big tag match at Survivor Series, so clearly they still wanted to keep, like, doing these things, but I don't know. That match will end up much better for him being gone, as always. It's a weird thing, but I don't know if they survive if they keep pushing him and he doesn't leave because, (laughs) you know, 
I don't know how he even exists in 93. I don't know what his, what his situation is. Yeah, how the Warrior and Yokozuna coexist. Yeah, and I don't think Warrior puts Yoko over, so. Maybe Yoko just Maybe. sits on him so hard that he has to leave. <laughs> that would be cool. <laughs> yeah. The end of this, Gene Erkelin is with, like, the naked Ultimate Warrior, and he to me, he looks like a cracked-out former rock star who's on a reality TV show about his addiction. <laughs> like, it's, just the, it's just the end of him. Oh, he's just addicted to um, being a terrible person, so, you know. <laughs> and now, so according to Warrior, I guess, Savage is officially with them, and also, officially, he knows that Savage is going to defeat him. <laughs> Yeah, I, it's baffling. This is another one of those, like, you don't know if he even really understood what was happening. Because, yeah, like, why would he say this stuff? It's so strange. But then why did he say anything? Why did he say sacrifice the pilots? You know, like, he's just a moron. Like, don't try to interpret what he says. This is, I don't know if this is just thrown together. Or they think they're being really smart. But, again, you got Ric Flair, Kurt Henning, Randy Savage. You know, you got Ultimate Warrior for what that's yeah. worth and this is the best that you can do. It is, again, it's only right, as you said, that Bulldog and Brett main event. And again, it's also not that shocking that they go in the direction that they go as you look back through this. Definitely not. I'll just say, I don't think we have any, but man, we have any Ultimate Warrior super fans on here, then uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I, sorry. I want to apologize uh, for trashing. You know, I understand that somebody could like the Ultimate Warrior for reasons which don't connect with me. But, uh, yeah, for, for if you're a fan like myself and the Mystic, like, this is Drek. Like, this is as bad as anything that you could pull out, practically, because it's just nonsense. And, God, yeah, you are so it. foolish as to watch this Nasty Boys match. Like, God help you, because Warrior and Savage have to fight the Nasty Boys, and it is bad. I think it is very, very bad. So, so God okay. help you if you choose to watch that. We did not. I saved the Mystic, and uh, I hope he's grateful for that. Absolutely. I don't think I would have watched it either way, but I'll still be happy that you didn't suggest it. Wise, very wise. Nasty Boys and Warrior, especially on an episode where Warrior's already vomited. I'm, I'm not going. I'm not going there. I do say that we've always said that there's a there's enough lenses to see anything any which way. So if you are a Warrior fan, I, I'm sorry. I know how I feel when I turn on a Lex Luger podcast and they talk like this, but I'm just calling it the way that I see it and the way that I felt as a fan watching it and also kind of how history uh how history has rendered it in a lot of ways and that's all we can do just call what we see so that's the legacy series hey we got our main event we got some exciting one exciting thing left i had never seen this match before i was very excited to finally check it out as you alluded to we do have bret hart and Shawn michaels in a ladder match for the intercontinental championship in portland on july 21st a very uh, seemingly important match, which was also buried away on some Coliseum video release. So uh, I don't even know what to think about, like, all the implications of that, but it's very exciting to finally check this match out after hearing about it for a long time. Yeah. Gorilla Monsoon, Lord Alfred Hayes are on the call. And this is my first time seeing it. So it's weird to watch something that is in one way very basic and another way very revolutionary at the same time. Yeah, yeah, you want to talk about transitions, I mean, between ladder matches not existing, like, in this company, and practically in the world, and then, like, WrestleMania 10, like, this is the transition here, and it's very interesting to see, so we gotta talk about that, but first, 
there's like a running thread through all of this of Lord Alfred Hayes and Sensational Sherry that I am just loving because he always brings her up. And it's great. I love this because Monsoon is mortified because she has a tattoo on her breast. And he is just yes. like up in arms about this. And he asks Lord Alfred Hayes, and Hayes says, oh, I don't look at things like that. <laughs> like, well, it never occurred he had no to him yeah. to look at a breast. <laughs> <laughs> Lord Alfred Hayes, he is special. Like, that's that's yes. been – you always find things on the Legacy series. And to me, the Sean Mooney, Lord Alfred Hayes team and Lord Alfred Hayes and Sean Mooney individually, those are treasures. It's like you catch a fish – and you get ready to throw it out or just eat it, and then the treasure is in the fish, and you're like, my God, that thing's worth a lot more than I knew. <laughs> yeah, man, this fish has, like, a diamond in its stomach or something. Like, yes. It's great. I love it. Uh, you can't beat it. If this is the end of Sean Mooney, man, like I said, I think the gra- the greatest uh, praise I can give them is it's all different, but we always talk about Gorilla Monsoon and Bobby. We talk about Vince McMahon and Jesse. And the Coliseum video version of that is is these two. They're not a dollar store knockoff. They're just another great team of this era. Yeah, they could have been on anything, I think. And uh, it's great still because um, you can mix and match these people. Like all these Monsoon, Alfred Hayes commentaries are also great. And, um, you know, there are a number of shows where it's like Monsoon, Heenan, and Hayes. And those are a hoot. And it's just like (laughs) there's so much great stuff going on. It's wonderful. Yeah. Oh, man. So, you know, this is special. I think above whether, like, oh, is it this great of a match, this good of a match, it's just a piece of history that has, like, I don't see how we don't pull this when we're doing something called the Legacy Series, you know? (laughs) Absolutely. I mean, if you watch this, I think it won't be the most amazing ladder match you ever saw by any stretch, but, like, it is so interesting and apart from that, I think it is really good. Like, there's some really good stuff in here. And they're basically working uh, with very little precedent. Like, maybe Bret Hart saw a ladder match in uh, Stampede, which I think is the story. But, um, yeah, there's very little work off here. So they do some very interesting stuff. And I think they have a very good showing. Yeah, this is a time where they talk about, oh, the steel ladder in the ring. That almost sounds like steel cage. Like, just the, just the threat of the ladder's existence at this point is a big deal. Yeah, sure. And I mean, every time someone is hit with the ladder, thrown into the ladder, I mean, there's a lot of reaction for it. So um, at least from commentary and from the wrestlers, I don't know if this crowd knew what to think exactly. Like, I don't know if they go crazy for this match or anything, but they were definitely interested in what was going on. Yeah, I don't think there's great big pops for some of the stuff. The, the bigger pops are, again, just built in that when you climb the ladder, like fans know, like, oh, my God, he might get the belt, you know? Right, right. Sure. So we'll see that we'll see a ladder match at Survivor Series, I think, as well. Wait, or is that what? just a singles match? What? Oh, <laughs> I see. Yes, not too dissimilar. Um, yeah, I mean, both guys use the ladder, but not extensively. I think, as you alluded to, like they'll kind of uh, ignore it to do some regular wrestling more than a few times in this match. So, um, you know, they're experimenting. They're seeing what they're comfortable with. Uh, it's interesting for sure. Yeah, it's it's paving the way, and it's weird that we get the Razor Ramon vignettes on the same day that we get we get the ladder match for this show because, like oh, we said, that. like that will launch some careers in in time. And you know what what speaks to me here? I I haven't heard I don't listen to the shoot interviews like you do, but seeing Shawn Michaels go into this match, 
he does a few things with the ladder, but he's not really very creative with it, which makes me think even more this is another Scott Hall um, like piece of creativity because the stuff they will do at WrestleMania 10 is way, way more creative than the stuff they'll do here in general, like the way they use the ladder and just like kind of like the innovation they do with it. Like it's above and beyond in that match. So again, I think that must be like at least partly a Scott Hall thing. Yeah, I can see it being that. I can see it being Sean and Scott because yeah. I have a feeling if Brett really thinks he invented this and Sean was the lesser guy that this would probably more of a Bret Hart run matchup because we're probably doing a lot of what Bret Hart knows and has seen if he really is the father of the ladder match. That could be. I mean, certainly uh, he would have more experience. Now, he's not saying he came up like he invented this match, does he? Or does he say that? I don't know anymore. I haven't heard it in a long time. But, like, he, the match is attached to him. He brought it to WWF and right, nobody yeah. could do it but him, you know. And I'm all pretty sure it's stuff. a Stampede Wrestling thing. That's where yeah. it originated. So probably not Brett himself. But, yeah, he at least would have uh, seen one of these. I don't know if I believe Alfred Hayes when he says he's seen, like, a ladder match before. Um, that seems like something he might just say, but who knows? Like he yeah. probably worked in Canada. He might've seen Stampede as well. So who knows? I would love to know though. It was a very interesting sure. comment in light of all this controversy that would come. Absolutely. Okay. So this one, again, it's a good match. You know, it's, it, it really is the kind of the basic building blocks for things to come. Yeah, for sure. Hey, I'll say, uh, Big standout again in this match, Sensational Sherry. I thought she added a lot to this, as usual, and just continues to reinforce herself as one of the best managers ever in the way she uh, she gets involved and mixes things up. Yeah, and it's such, a, it's such an advantage to have a manager. I think Diesel, if he's around, <laughs> has to leave ringside. At, uh, um, I can't remember <laughs> if he's there or not. But, you know, that, if you got a manager at ringside in a ladder match, I don't know how you end up losing the match. Oh, man, I was just going to say, if, if, if somebody, um, you know, if one side had uh, Sherry as the manager and the other side had Diesel as the manager, I know who I'd be thinking would come <laughs> out on top. I think she'd take him apart. Was, if you Warrior and Savage were talking about Sherry was going to manage one of them, then I would believe that would turn the tide because Sherry, she's something special. She'll just get in and, like, mm. punch your lights out or something. <laughs> No, it's not. It's Mr. Perfect, and like you said, he was at ringside at WrestleMania when Randy Savage defeated Ric Flair for the title, so <laughs> utter stupidity. Yeah, it makes no sense, for sure. Bret Hart, uh, of course, is going to win this matchup. He's going to retain that precious IC title, and Shawn Michaels is such an egomaniac walking around here with all that status, and man, he hasn't won a belt in the WWF. Like, it's, hard, it's hard to grasp that this guy in all these matches on the show is a guy who was mostly a tag wrestler who just went singles, who's won zero belts, you know, in the WWF. Yeah. I mean, he's like six or seven months into his run here and uh, he's got such attitude. He's got such ego and uh, he's done really well so far. You know, we got to give him a lot of credit, I think for uh, how good he has been this early in his run. Yeah. It's been fun. We'll have SummerSlam, but after that, all the transitions will start to fall in place. Brett will leave the IC title to go to the WWF title, and Sean will become an IC champion. So we are we are at the end of uh, their runs at where they each are at the moment. Yeah, yeah. Both are about to level up for sure, and uh, we're going to see a whole lot more of their top-notch work as we go forward. Man, I am so curious about SummerSlam. 
again, this is a little bit. I'm, I'm not going back and like checking in on stuff because it's going to be fresh. It's almost going to be like seeing most of it for the first time. I'm very familiar with the Bulldog Brett match. Not at all with Savage and Warrior because I, I, I don't know. I've just never watched it, I don't think. And then what was the third match we said that we knew? Uh, Martel and Michaels. I've seen that once a long time ago. I look forward to seeing it again. All right, all right. Yeah, now there will be some interesting stuff. Do you want a preview of the card, or do you want to watch it all fresh? Let's do it. Let's do a preview. All right, at SummerSlam, apart from what we've talked about, we have the Legion of Doom taking on Money, Inc. We have uh, Mm -hmm. Virgil taking on Nails in his debut, so that'll be interesting. We have Beverly Brothers challenging the Natural Disasters for the tag titles. We have Crush debuting against the Repo Man. And we have The Undertaker, who is on this card, and he is wrestling a returning Kamala. So that is the remainder of the card. I don't know if any of that is thrilling, but some of it may be interesting. So we'll have to see what comes of that. I'm looking forward to Undertaker and Kamala. That'll be fun. Yeah, I remember that now that I've looked at it. I think they feud all the way through Survivor Series. They'll do they'll do shtick, and uh, Kamala, I think, will be afraid of caskets. And uh, that's something yes. Undertaker will take from Jake, is that he will have like kind of an item that every heel is terrified of. So that'll be something. Yeah, and just the way WWF moves, because the snake, I guess it could kill you if Jake really brings it, you know, the body bag or the casket, you know, is a higher percentage that you're, that's the end of your life right there. So, you know, they keep up in the ante as they go along. <laughs> they do indeed, and much easier to uh, take care of and transport around. So, yes. you know, you gotta gotta show respect for that. Um, yeah, if before all is said and done, Kamala will be uh, converted by Reverend Slick over to a, a baby face. So we may have to check that out as well. I think that's in '93. Yes. So. I don't think I've seen that, and, you know, it might not be their best work, but, you know, it's a way to see them again before they disappear. <laughs> and disappear they will, but, yeah, we'll we'll make a point to uh, take a look at that. So, Ooh, all right, we'll be back next time then with uh, an enormous crowd in Wembley Stadium, maybe their biggest uh, ever actual crowd, depending on what number you believe for WrestleMania three. so at least up to this point. So should be some very interesting stuff. Mystic, anything else you want to say before we wrap it up? Uh, that's just unbelievable that we're going to get that kind of crowd sure. when in this kind of mess. So, again, this is just <laughs> it's a it, it, it's a mixed bag all the way around. Yeah, almost 80,000. So, going to be a uh, wow. huge, huge crowd there in Wembley Stadium. Some very cool stuff, I think. So, all right. We'll be back in two weeks with SummerSlam 1992. Hope you enjoyed the show. Hope the Ultimate Warrior fans aren't coming from my head. Uh, they'll never hear this so it doesn't matter <laughs> uh, but if you are out there uh, give us a shout anytime I'm on Twitter I'm at SpectralGent and also on LPForums.com we have a great thread with a lot of great conversation going on in there also uh, WrestlingHeadlines.com for a lot of great other written material about wrestling last but not least the other great programs on LOP Radio a lot of great stuff that you can engage with in the wrestling world so uh, that is all we've got for you today. Two weeks, SummerSlam 92 is going to be a lot of fun. Until then, Mystic, take us home. Until next time, don't let the legacy be dictated to you. Rewatch, revisit, rewrite. I saw an undiscovered creature.
future Climbing on the mountainside You know that no one else believed me How about that? With green eyes and white stripes and salty tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature The undiscovered creature I never saw this one in books or heard a myth of it Looks like it came from underwater I thought I'd seen every life form But there it is An undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared The undiscovered creature and salty tears I knew that these were just its cautionary features Keep telling myself nothing to fear It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared It's just an undiscovered creature Coming up to meet ya He's the one that's scared